Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the ElfQuest Show podcast. Yeah, it's been a while since our last one, so uh, we'll try and catch up for sure. Exactly, mm-hmm. and not take four hours, as much as I know yeah. everybody loves listening to us. <laughs> we'll try to keep um, the tangents down to a minimum. Exactly. Yeah, I think we've gotten through a lot of the sort of general ElfQuest tangents um, in, so. the, in the prior episodes, so hopefully we'll be able to kind of stick to the story. But yeah. before we dive in to that, I have a couple of things I wanted to, um, you know, sort of announcements, reminders for folks. If you haven't already... You definitely need to check out the complete Elf Quest. This is the big, fat compilation of the entire original Quest that Dark Horse has just published. It's it's just coming out this month. I actually got my copy today. Um, I I was I I got my copy in the mail today. I'm spoiled in that I did go to San Diego Comic Con and the Dark Horse booth actually had some copies there. So I got a, a signed copy from Wendy and Richard. Don't hate me. Um, <laughs> but um, but it is out. And you can order it from from Tifa, Things from Another World. Um, you can also get a Kindle edition. So this is huge, oh, cool. everyone. This is the first time that any of the original ElfQuest is available digitally, you know, on a device. So there's the, you know, sort of the online comics on ElfQuest.com, but this is a totally different thing. And so um, I haven't gotten that version yet, but I am going to spend the money and get it. It's only like 12 bucks. So yeah. super excited about that. I do want to say, though, if you um, order it from Amazon... Mm-hmm. Be warned that we're getting lots of reports of books showing up damaged. In fact, I got my copy yesterday and the packaging was just crappy and the book had a big sort of dig into the spine and the front cover. Um, and a lot of other people are reporting that. Whereas folks that ordered it from TFA, not only did they get it earlier, um, some people got it as early as last week, but it, the packaging apparently is a lot better. Wow. So if you did order from Amazon and it does show up damaged, do what I did. Go to the website and you can report damaged packaging and you can um, process a return. So I did that yesterday and they overnighted me a new copy that came. Even though the packaging wasn't any better, this copy was not damaged. And you can print out free return shipping labels. So I encourage people to do that oh, because if – yeah, because if Amazon is shipping out stuff and it's showing up damaged, the only way they're going to know and correct it is if people tell them. Right. So, I saw pictures on Facebook that people had posted of uh, of the complete ElfQuest uh, that they ordered from Amazon. And yeah, it looked pretty awful what happened to some yeah. of them. So I don't know yeah. what the heck is going on at Amazon. You'd think that after all these years, Amazon would have had that figured out as far as packaging goes. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, they put it in a box that's slightly larger than the book. Mm-hmm. The copy that I got in the mail yesterday, which was the damaged one, had one of those like inflatable, um, you know, sort of bubble wraps in there. Right. But it's only one of the three segments was actually inflated. So the book just flung around inside the box and got crushed on the one side. Yeah. And then the one that I got to today, which arrived without any damage, had nothing in it other than <clears throat> it was just the book in the box. And the box, um, like I said, is slightly larger than the book. So it's a wonder that this copy didn't get bashed up too. But wow. 
Yeah, it didn't. So right. so anyway, that's just a little thing to keep in mind if you're going to order it. But um, it's it's gorgeous, you guys. It's it's the original crisp black and white, apparently from brand new scans of the original artwork. This is sort of the cleanest and crispest this art has ever looked. And I know a lot of folks want color, but just as many folks, uh, myself included, and Ryan, you too, I think, have been equally sort of clamoring for black and white presentation of the original quest, mm -hmm. um, just like it was originally published. And so Wendy and Richard, um, you know, do their best to accommodate all of the fan needs that are out there. So uh, stay tuned. And I'm sure that color versions will be coming down the pike as long as the final quest and these other books continue to sell well from Dark Horse. But um, right. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I was I was planning on getting a copy. Uh, I was hoping to ask for it for Christmas or yep. maybe Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely want a copy of it because I have my original eight graphic novels from um, Father Tree Press that mm -hmm. are all colored, and I I do want a copy that's just the um, black and white ink work. So yeah. I'll have to get mine. Right, and again, this is this is really well. I, I should say it's the second time that the entire original quest was collected into one volume. The original Donning Starblaze versions of books one through four were collected into one giant tome that um, is available if you if you look on eBay and places like that, you can get it. But be prepared to spend several hundred dollars. Um, wow. So this is this is this is the last thing I want to say about this book is that it's seven hundred and twenty pages of ElfQuest. And it's only twenty four ninety nine. That's amazing. And that's that's that is obviously related to the fact that it is black and white. Um, and so you know, again, if you're if you're really upset that you wanted a color copy, um, but at the same time don't have a budget to spend a hundred bucks on an ElfQuest book, well, mm -hmm. this is a good compromise. And so I definitely encourage folks to check it out. For sure. And it the can. Uh, I was going to say it can double as what like. A door jam at some point, maybe. <laughs> Listen, it's this thing huge. is huge. It's heavy. I am. I am. I've affectionately become calling it the um, the ElfQuest Bible, the Old Testament, <laughs> because it's just that big. <laughs> see if we can get that to stick. Yeah. Um, so okay. yeah. So so that's the complete ElfQuest. The other yeah. quick thing that I wanted to share, if folks um, are not on the ElfQuest forums or on the ElfQuest fan Facebook page, is a pretty exciting announcement that Richard shared. And that is about the two art books that are being developed by Flesk Publications that were announced actually about a year ago. And um, these books are going to be The Art of ElfQuest. And then the second one is called The Line of Beauty, The Art of Wendy Peeney. Oh, Those were originally announced, like I said, about a year ago. And, you know, sort of loosely, it was sort of like maybe late 2014, these would come out. Well, we haven't heard anything about them. And somebody asked on the forums, you know, what the story was, if there was an update. And Richard shared that they're still in the works. And very excitingly, the publisher, once he started getting into all of the rich um, sort of back art of Wendy and of ElfQuest realized that there was way more material than would fit in two 200-page books. So what he decided to do is make each of those books 300 pages, which of course is going to require more production time. So there's no p publication date. Um, Richard said, you know, sometime maybe next year, maybe late next year, 2015. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how incredibly amazing is it going to be to get not one, but two 300-page art books about ElfQuest and Wendy's art? I mean, incredible. I'm like already salivating. <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait for those. I since I've uh, heard about them when they were first discussing these. You said about a year ago, but I think it was longer ago than that. Than that, yeah, that maybe they a year actually and a half. said, yeah, that they were actually starting to work on them. But um, yeah, I've been 
me too. I've been salivating over the yeah. idea of these. And uh, I think it was uh, a while ago, Richard posted pictures of um, Wendy's artwork. It was laid out on the floor, just various different uh, yep. pieces of paper. And I was uh, like, what I would do to be in that room and be able to go through <laughs> her artwork. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 All right. So um, those are the, the two announcements. I don't know. Was there anything else that you wanted to? Uh, yeah. Well, answer you mentioned. Yeah, you mentioned online ElfQuest online uh, with the comics. We still have yet to um, have a, a format where we can read them on iPads because iPad requires Flash. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. I know you have some insider information as far as ElfQuest.com goes. Yeah. Um, so I think. I actually, I don't know for sure, no. to be honest with you. Um, I know that Richard has said that that is something that's coming. Yeah. I also am under the impression that um, that I think, you know, Dark Horse probably has some interest in, in you know, what kind of elf quest appears online and, you know, so I don't know, but, but hmm. you're, you're, you, the, what you just said isn't technically correct anymore because with okay. the kindle edition yes of the complete elf quest mm -hmm. if you you can download the kindle app onto your ios devices and you can read anything v that you download from amazon on your kindle on your ipad or your iphone you know what i, I, have, I have not done I it have yet the with kindle ElfQuest, app. but yeah you should I have definitely... the kindle app why haven't i done that yet i don't know it just never occurred to me yeah, so okay. i don't know in fact after we're off <laughs> we're done recording i'm going to go onto amazon and see if the, uh, the Kindle version is available, and I'm going to download it, and I'll give it a test run, and then I'll post about it on the ElfQuest Facebook fan page and on the forums. But wait, does that mean that I can read what's on ElfQuest.com, like all the online comics on my no. Kindle? No. 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 What okay, it means well, is, yeah. is the book, the complete ElfQuest book, right, that I can you know, the it. entire original Quest that just came out, you know, the Bible. Yes, um, yes. That you can, you can purchase a digital copy of it via right. Kindle. Okay. So if you have the Kindle app, then you can open up that copy, that yeah. digital copy of the complete ElfQuest. Now, I don't know if it will be like a digital comics reader where you can go page or panel by panel, or if it's just going to be kind of like a static book um, yeah. experience where you can just flip the page. Mm -hmm. but I don't know if Kindle has that uh, that capability. Capability, yeah. But yeah. Um, but as far as ElfQuest.com, all the online comics, we have. there's no format yet to read them. On right. an iPad, say, right? right? Yeah, yeah, I think that there's some there's some website that you like some URL that you go to, mm -hmm. and then you plunk in whatever the online URL comic is. is. Yeah, and then it will do like some kind of translation for it. I, I haven't tried it myself, and I don't know what it is, but I remember somebody posting about that as a yeah. kind of a short term until um, until it otherwise becomes available um, for right. for iOS devices, but um, mm. so. I guess I would just say more patience is required on that one. <laughs> yep. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, there's been a lot of discussion online lately, uh, especially on Facebook, about um, people trying to contact Wendy and Richard directly about products and merchandise. And oh, yes. Stuff, and it keeps, I think we talked about this in the last episode, actually. Yep. Um, but uh, we're trying to put the word out there as much as possible to, uh, for fans to contact Dark Horse directly. Not Wendy and Richard. Um, contact exactly. Dark Horse. Um, and I actually did recently, I sent them another email uh, just requesting what I would like to see, which is some ElfQuest action figures or maybe like vinyl figures or something. Um, so yeah, if you have uh, an idea of something that you'd like to see, um, some merchandise or um, I guess anything like graphic novels, uh, yeah, contact Dark Horse, Dark Horse directly. 
That's right. And and if you go onto the forums, I actually created a an entire thread. The first uh, message in which um, is all of the different ways that you can contact Dark Horse. You can email them directly at elfquest at darkhorse.com. You can email them via their just general Dark Horse customer service line. Uh, you can tweet them. They have a Facebook page. So there's lots of different ways that you can get that message across. I think probably... Um, either the elfquest at darkhorse.com or their general customer service email is going to be the ones that will probably be most effective. But absolutely, Wendy and Richard, um, you know, are creating Elfquest. Dark Horse is in charge of publishing it and putting out the actual product. So, you know, they and they're not reading the forums. They're not reading the Elfquest Facebook page, to our knowledge. I mean, maybe they are, but um, but when people go and and put forty messages about, oh, I want this product or that product, it's falling on deaf ears. Wendy mm-hmm. and Richard know that you want the product, and they can share it with Dark Horse. But if Dark Horse needs to hear from the customers, if they're going to do it, so make sure you do that. It's really important. Um, and I think if everybody that listens to this sends Dark Horse an email, you know, pause this and do it right now. It would be pretty powerful if they got flooded with several hundred, um, you know, emails saying, you know, I want more ElfQuest books. I want ElfQuest toys. Um, I know there are people out there that want ElfQuest lunchboxes and, you mm-hmm. know, ElfQuest umbrellas and everything else. So yeah. um, I'd be happy with some really cool action figures that are articulated. But um, so and awesome. I have I have emailed them, too. But it's actually a good reminder for me. Um, you don't have to do it only once. You can do it multiple times. No, just keep keep doing it you know until they get the message hopefully they will um and look at what's happened with the uh the card game the cheeky dingo yeah elf quest card game now i don't know too much about card games i don't play them myself but i've been following what's been going on um it's it's amazing what's yeah. happened yeah yeah, no, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot um, uh, forgot about that, and I wanted to mention it here too. But absolutely, I mean, Kickstarter project raised like several tens of thousands of dollars to develop this ElfQuest card game. I'm not a card game player either. Uh, I, of course, made a pledge, and I'm going to get it. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll learn. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, pretty phenomenal support for a product that otherwise would not have gotten made. And it's amazing. I mean, so obviously the. F- the fans are out there. We're out there. We're invested in this in ElfQuest. We want to see products made. So, by all means, contact Dark Horse too. Let them know what you'd like to see. Um, but yeah, this the card game. It it was just incredible what happened with it. It, it also got profiled on uh, the Nerdist.com, yeah. which is one of the biggest um, like geek culture websites. Totally. Um, so that's pretty incredible in and of itself. Yeah, it got picked up on a lot of um, a lot of blogs, but I think Nerdist was probably the biggest. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nerdist has a huge reach. I don't know what their actual readership is, but you know, it's Chris Millions. Hardwick. Um, you know, yeah. and 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 you know, he's sort of you know, he's great, the, the coolest geek out there, right? Yeah, so, we've got to get Chris Hardwick to give an ElfQuest shout out somehow. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I mean, we might have to get him to read it first, but <laughs> surely somebody out there. Um, you know, has some connection and can get a copy of maybe the complete elf quest yeah. in front of him and, and see what happens. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Okay. All right. So shall so, we uh, delve into issue number three? Yeah, I think so. And and I think like we did last time, just kind of going through the each issue chronologically and discussing it, I think it's probably the, the path of least resistance. So, um, so if you're cool with that, I say, um, shoot, what's your first thought? Well, we open here with um, with Strongbow entering the palace, and I have to say I love this uh, image of Strongbow. I think he he just looks incredible. It's like mm-hmm. um, just amazing. 
It's just he's very Strongbowy. Yeah, he's very Strongbowy. <laughs> I remember a few issues ago there was an image of him where you said it didn't feel like Strongbow to you the way yes. he was drawn, and this definitely feels like Strongbow to me. Yep, totally, one hundred percent agree. Yeah, it's it's you know it's neat too how. Um, you know, again, we've seen this depicted several times. How the the palace really just sort of, uh, it, it's almost li- well, I guess it is living in a way. It just sort of opens up when you know, based on the will of the elf coming up to it, and um, and it just sort of a, a you know, a, just such a neat idea. It's it's you know, so, so much of Elf Quest is. Um, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but one of the things that I love most about it is that it's, it's, it, it harkens back to, and it, it's sort of almost like a retelling of so many kind of traditional um, sort of folklore and fantasy ideas, mm-hmm. but told from the first person perspective of the fantasy creatures. Right. So there's this all, you know, there's this old, probably like Celtic um, and probably sort of Germanic as well. Oh, wow. Um, I know what you're going to say. And it's kind of, yeah. yeah, go ahead. You say it. Uh, well, say it. it just didn't occur to me until just right now when you're saying it of um, like like fairy mounds, I guess, or like exactly. living within inside of hills. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly it. That you know? just didn't occur to me until right now. You know, and it's sort when of you said that. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, just like when, when, when the Kings of the Broken Wheel storyline came around and we kind of got to see for the first time how the elves themselves inspired the the idea of these fantastical sort of angel-like creatures in the culture of Junsland. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes so much sense. And um, so I just that that's something that struck me about this opening page is that um, even though we've seen it before, it's you know, it's sort of Elfquest's version of that sort of, you know, that fairy mound, that sort of, you know, fairy cavern under the ground that um, is magic and that humans can't access without Um, having special abilities well you know just referencing that with the idea of like these folkloric tropes um that turn up again and again in in fairy tales and folklore um and how they're incorporated into elf quest in their own elf questy way Mm -hmm. um there was something a while back that i noticed and i i mentioned it at some point maybe on facebook but just that uh in dream time tree stump has his dream about um the weapons that he's created destroying uh, the wolf riders or his loved ones. Right. Um, and I, at the time I thought, I wonder if this is sort of a reference of sorts to the idea that, um, elves and fairy folk are, uh, allergic to, um, iron and, and metals. Hmm. Um, and if that's somehow some incorporation of, of that folklore trope, but yeah, I mean, that's I mean interesting. that might just be my own interpretation of it, but, I, you know, I, I thought maybe that has some legitimacy. Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a really interesting thing. And, and I don't know whether or not that was a conscious thing yeah. that maybe Wendy and Richard put in there or if it's just something that, you know, again, that sort of collective consciousness that sometimes, you know, kind of emerges, um, you know, in, in ElfQuest where um, it could just be like you, you might be the first person to notice that and, and it doesn't make it any less cool. Because mm-hmm. you're right, that is definitely sort of that that that's that's definitely uh, an idea that that has bubbled up over you know various folklores in 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 the past. So that's right. kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah never like thought about that. Old steel or iron right. is is, uh, is harmful to elves. Yeah. Well. Right. Well. Well. Speaking of iron, mm-hmm. um, the we go from this opening page to strongbow um seeing moonshade and calling her by her soul name iron Mm -hmm. um and we get to see moonshade fully decked out 
in her, you know, shimmery lavender palace gown. Mm-hmm. Preserver um, silk. Preserver silk, exactly. And have, we haven't seen anybody weaving preserver silk yet. I wonder how they're doing that, or is it if they're just using the magic of the palace to create it. Um, my take on it is that it's it's. Um, well, and this is relevant to what I was just going to say. The only time we ever really heard anything about this was in the Leah Hernandez um, Moonshade story from the the Whirlpool new series, from the new right from the the New Blood series that um, where we see that's the story where um, Moonshade and the Wolf Riders are fairly they've only been in the Sun Village for a fairly short amount of time, and um, this one Sun Villager on Chen. Um, basically has the hots for moonshade and really wants to sort of change her into this, you know, sort of frilly gown wearing sun villager. And, um, and she, of course, that's not who she is and kind of rejects that notion. Um, but not, but only after getting decked out and putting on, you know, lip gloss and, and this big, you know, again, sort of flowy dress and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we'll come back to that in a second, but in that story, I think Anshen like describes that they use um, basically caterpillar silk in right. order to weave the flowing gown. So my take on it is that since they have access to preservers and that preserver silk is much stronger than probably anything, um, any of the caterpillars on the world of two moons, that they have essentially just adapted their weaving process to use that instead. Well, they called it moth fabric. Moth fabric, exactly. If I remember correctly. Yes. But yeah, there must be weavers somewhere in the palace, I guess. Yeah, yeah weavers making and it. maybe they're using you know the magic of the palace to augment that but i i like to think that the sun villagers are still using their hands and their skills at least to a degree i think so because um who's new stars new uh Olo. yeah he's out in the um out in the forest gardening still it looks like so right. i don't yeah. think they've completely given up their agrarian ways right um right. but uh yeah they're definitely becoming more and more uh adapted to the palace Right. Or palace living. Just going a step back, though, I just wanted to make mention of the fact that um, Strongbow's got a piece of the palace around his neck and his mm-hmm. choker. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we've seen that with a lot of the elves in Final Quest. Um, they're wearing pieces of the palace as sort of uh, decorative jewelry, almost. But um, we haven't yet been given an explanation for why that is. I, so I'm just going on an assumption here, but I'm assuming it, it augments their powers to some degree. Yeah, that's what I would say, too. And I think Wendy might have referenced that back when she was putting out teasers for the final quest before it even really kicked off. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was putting out sort of character clothing designs and whatever. And I think, you know, she said that Moonshade was weaving in, you know, small crystals from the palace um, and that it's just what you were saying to sort of, you know, uh, enhance the connection to the palace and enhance, you know, the way that the palace does sort of the innate abilities of the elves. So um, I think... I wonder if one of them dropped off their clothes, though. Like, is that a lost piece of the palace? Like, just like the shards, you know? Uh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, maybe I, they could find it or something. It has some homing beacon once they're in the palace. They can find out right. where the missing pieces would be. But I would imagine. I would imagine that they would be able to, you know, with, within the palace, sense other pieces of the palace. Yeah. As long as they weren't too far away. Um, but that sounds like perfect fodder for some fan fiction. You know, yeah. what what happens if, you know, sort of, you know, free touch, not paying attention and she drops her crystal and some troll finds it or a human finds mm-hmm. it or something, you know, right. or an animal eats it or who knows, you yeah. know, so. 
let your creative juices flow, everyone out there, and let's let's see some fan fiction about that. About lost pieces of the shards of the yeah. palace. Yeah, um, I love that Strongbow is, is an arrowhead. I think that's such a, yep. a neat yep. design. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, all of yeah. Wendy's designs kind of they're very visually descriptive, if you will. So absolutely. Um, it's one of the things that I love most about ElfQuest actually is the, the sort of clothing designs that Wendy comes up with. It's just, you know, no one, if there's one thing that no other artist, in my opinion, could even come remotely close to, mm-hmm. it's definitely that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I agree. As far as um, being able to get the, the right feel and style. Um, so yeah. So speaking of clothing, you know, Moonshade rounds the corner. She's all decked out in a flowy palace gown. Mm-hmm. And immediately I thought of that Leah Hernandez story because the whole point of that story was that, you know, Moonshade was sort of a feral wild wolf rider and she didn't want to be tame. It mm-hmm. wasn't who she was. Mm-hmm. And now fast forward, well, essentially 10,000 years, but probably, you know, 500 years or so of Moonshade's life. Right. And, and it, what a radical change, right? Mm-hmm. And so on, on the first blush it's easy to be like well this is out of character but i think that and we talked about this before too like i think that's actually what makes it even more powerful that it is moonshade and that it's not you know red lance or you know an elf that you might think would be more conducive to sort of wanting to live in the palace this way right um so it's all the more shocking and interesting and it really kind of makes you scratch your head right but um but I mean, but but here, but we have it. It's laid out right here. You know, Moonshade is. You know, she's so excited. She's saying how beautiful the the scroll is, and that she's learning so From many Tamaine, things. She's with Tamaine. She's learning about the scroll. Yeah. Um, and and she's able to be closer to Crescent Spirit. Right. Right. And then Strongbow confronts her on this and says that meanwhile you've been neglecting your living and breathing daughter. Right. Um, Which, of course, pisses her off and she turns around and snaps at him mm -hmm. Um, and basically calls him out like, you know, why? Basically, she's like, why are you being an ass? No one here is thinking negative thoughts like that uh, inside the palace. You know what? When I read that, I actually was slightly disturbed by that, to be honest, because that to me strikes me as being somewhat totalitarian and a little bit of uh, the thought police creeping in a bit like how how dare you have independent thought within the palace or think something that I would consider negative Um, it just kind of it actually sort of creeped me out it's a little uh, I don't know fascist I guess yeah I mean maybe that's too strong a word but that's interesting so I, I think though if you if you read it with if if you read both both um, sending bubbles there, mm-hmm. she says there was no kindness in that thought. No one thinks such things here ever. I think the point is not that Strongbow thought something that she didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. It's it's the kindness part that that Strongbow snapping at her like that was an unkind act because he knows that it's not true that she is trying to neglect. She's free tone policing him. She's what tone policing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's probably it's probably more that than her saying you're not allowed to think right. freely. It's like why again? Like why are you being an ass? Like why yeah. are you saying these things? They're really, I mean, Strongbow basically said that just to kind of as a barb. He said it to sort of rile her up, and sure, I think that's I, spirit I think, of what she's. I think it's a legitimate point though that he's making. I mean, she is neglecting her her children who are actually out in the world alive. She's chosen to you know sequester herself within the palace and and that's her choice her decision but there's consequences to it 
Well, true, but I think I think the 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 only response that can be given to that statement is Free Touch's response on the very next page, where she's yeah. like, "What? I don't like why? Why do I care if she's here?" And you got to remember, Free Touch is in her thirties at this point, so it's not like Moonshade is like ditching her little tiny baby to go be all woo woo magic in the in the palace. You know, I mean. I think Strongbow saying that is him again, you know, like when, when you're in a relationship with someone and they're doing something that irritates you, sometimes you say things that you don't really mean and that are, are not even true necessarily, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just going to get a rise out of the other right, person just pressing their buttons. I think that that's exactly what's going on in the scene. And it's, the fact that free touch on the next page is like, Oh, I don't care what no she does. Deal. Why shouldn't she be able to go? And, you know, I think it's sort of, you know, backs that theory up, but, and the fact that yeah. that Strongbow immediately realizes that, you know, maybe he's being too aggressive and, 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 and it's really just his loneliness that is causing him to lash out and not an actual legitimate, um, th- you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I sympathize with him. I can see where he's coming from. He feels like he's being neglected and that his family is being neglected, whether that's, um, legitimate or not. I mean, he has these concerns, right? Moonshade yeah. has been by his side, uh, for the last 900 years, I think. Right, Is that how yeah. long they've been a couple for? Uh, I would say, yeah, somewhere in that that time frame. Right. So all of a sudden, within the span of a few years, she's decided to make this drastic change. It must have severe um, effects on their relationship, and I'm, we're seeing that played out. It's a rift is developing between. Right. Them. From yeah, and I I think that's a very fair way of characterizing it, and and I and and I, I agree. I mean, I think Strongbow is is very validated in feeling, you know, like what the hell's going on. (laughs) Absolutely. He doesn't understand what is happening here. I mean, it says on the first page, right? Magic makes uh, the respectfully unarmed Strongbow uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so to see his life mate who he's um, bound to to the hip with um, suddenly just um, abandon him almost for the palace, for life in the palace must be... Right. Um, devastating. Well, but, and the other interesting thing with that is mm-hmm. that um, I think Strongbow is probably just is 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 equally shocked, um, not just by the fact that Moonshade is is not by his side, but like just at the thought that she could adapt and do something different. Mm-hmm. You know, he's so um, sort of set in his own ways. Right. And Moonshade has always been, you know, she's sort of deferred to him in all, in all, in all of that kind of thing. And suddenly it to him, you know, she's, she's like thinking for herself and doing something different. And I think the loneliness and just sort of the, the physical separation, but just the idea that, you know, it's almost like a wake up call, like, Oh, right. Like she had my back all these years and now, you know, we're not seeing eye to eye. What does that mean? You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of a, it's probably a, in a way, a rude awakening for him to realize that, oh yeah, maybe she, I'm taking this for granted that, you know, she's always going to be by my side backing me up. Um, right. And that of course is, is got to be disconcerting for him. Now they decide uh, that they're going to den together for the rest of the day. She, uh, Moonshade says she'll go back with him to the, the father tree and, um, They'll spend the uh, the day together, but I feel like we're seeing the beginnings of what I can only describe as an elf divorce. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I have no idea what's where how this is going to play out. Um, I really don't. And I think the rift that's growing between them is going to continue to grow. And 
um, referencing back to Dreamtime, if you remember their dream specifically, it yeah. shows the two of them um, separating, and there's one lone wolf left. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So... I, yeah, I mean, I, I think my, that has entered my brain, too, and... I just, I can't even wrap my mind around that. <laughs> yeah, I know, because it, it seems so, um, it's shocking, because yeah. we, we would never have expected this from this couple. Right, right. But, and particularly from Moonshade, this character development is is shocking. Yeah, and and again, all the more reason why I think it was a good choice, because it, it's making us think, mm-hmm. and kind of chew on this, and maybe even feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. Definitely. Um, and I think when stories do that, it, they're actually good stories. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. And like and like we've talked about in, in, in prior episodes, I think. I think it's this this whole development with Moonshade's character is, is a great uh, opportunity to kind of think about the fact that, you know, these are characters that are are relatable, but they're so different than us because they're immortal mm-hmm. and that. You know, for for it actually makes much more sense when you think about it that way. That you know, after 900 years, you might get kind of bored with the same old thing, and you might just one day be like, "Yeah, I'm going to do something completely different." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard for us to kind of understand, I think, because we don't live that long. But mm-hmm. um, but until you see a character do a real 180 like this, it's easy to take that for granted. Um, and that and and again, I think it adds an element of realism to this fantasy story that um, that I think is one of the things that makes ElfQuest really good. Well, it's all about characterization, right? And um, ElfQuest has always been about the characters uh, as, as much as it's been about the stories, but it's the strong characters that really draw you in and, and um, you know, make you feel like you're a part of these characters' lives almost. So um, I don't right. know where I was going with that, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's just as much as it's shocking, I guess, that Moonshade has made this choice. Uh, I like how it's being portrayed and written right. because it's not unbelievable. Like I'm starting to understand her decision and choices. Right. right. Yeah, and I also like the fact that it's another example of um, of how everything isn't so always sort of happy and hunky dory with sort of our our protagonists mm-hmm. you know in so many fantasy stories it you know it does fall back onto that crutch of good versus evil and you know even with an elf quest it's like you know the 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 good guys the wolf riders versus you know the john or or rayek or whatever and and everybody gets along swimmingly but but you know every once in a while we do get these glimpses of sort of the internal conflicts within the tribe so you know this whole storyline with strongbow and moonshade or back in the searcher and the sword when um, Strongbow and Tree Stump almost got into a fist fight, or um, I'm trying to think of, oh, or you know, even Moonshade back in the day, and and um, snapping at Lita about not going on the quest with Cutter, and Moonshade standing up and snapping right back at her. So, hmm. um, you know, or I'm sorry, Nightfall snapping back at Moonshade. Right. Um, I, I like seeing that. I like seeing these little tiffs that the the elves, you know, the heroes, if you will, have amongst themselves. Again, I think it adds that element of realism. Yeah, to this fantasy story, right? Exactly. Yeah, right? they they have idiosyncrasies, they have character flaws. Um, that's what makes them interesting. 
Exactly. Yeah, they're not they're not perfect. Um, you know what? I just want to mention one thing before we move on past this little scene. But uh, mm-hmm. I did want to mention that um, when Strong was walking in, he's thinking about um, Tamain and how he is oh, right, hesitant yeah. to encounter her because um, of her overwhelming presence, uh, which references back to the end of the original quest where right. uh, he makes contact with Tamain um, through sending, and he uh, has to pull back and and um, uh, shut off the descending and block her right. um, because it's too overwhelming for him. Um, I guess it just kind of speaks to that wolf rider uh, mentality or um, where they have this need to protect their innermost selves. Right. Um, but it's interesting because whereas Strongbow still feels that um, hesitation in the presence of Tamain, Moonshade has now become fully um, engrossed in studying with her and being right. within the palace. So she has no qualms whatsoever about being in Tamain's presence. Exactly. So that, yeah. that also really um, shows sort of the polarity between the two of them at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to what Moonshade said in in prior issues that you know like she's just realizing that the way that they that the wolf riders have lived and their point of view isn't really the only way anymore and that mm-hmm. there are there are other options out there and she seems to have finally just said you know what i'm going to embrace this and see what happens whereas strongbow obviously is not really in a place or to be able to be capable of doing that um and so i think that's a really good insight that you know you had there that it's like you know strongbow is still in many ways exactly where he was at the end of the original quest all those many many years ago mm-hmm. um and the world including his life mate is sort of changing around him right um and so they, yeah it's got to be scary exactly they sort of kind of encapsulate the whole idea behind final quest um where it's the uh the tension between the palace dwellers and the wolf riders and right. what the palace means to the elves and what the world of two moons means and right. how how can those two things coexist, or can they at all? Yeah. And it's sort of being encapsulated in these two characters in Strongbow and Moonshade. Yeah. No, I definitely think they're symbolic of that that um, that conflict, which is the you know we uh, we've been told is going to be the overarching conflict for the entire story. So, mm-hmm. um, well, before we flip this page, I there's one other thing that I just think is uh, is so awesome about. Um, the, the the scene, and I'm talking about the scene where we get the wide shot of the wolf riders kind of hanging outside the father tree. Can I and... guess what you're going to say? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Does it have something to do with Nightfall and Redlands? No, actually. No? Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the actual um, photo image. or the image. Oh, my God. But now that you just said that, yeah. I, am, I am noticing what you're talking about. I okay. did completely miss this. Yeah. <laughs> that Nightfall is braiding Redlands's hair. Yeah. I love it. I totally I know, did too. not see that yeah. on any of like the hundred times that I've read this issue. <laughs> oh my a god! Little moment. Totally. I. Oh my god! I'm like getting all giddy here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we. This is what's great about ElfQuest. You can read these stories hundreds, thousands of times, and there's so many little things that are just tucked in there, whether it's in the art or in the words that. You know, depending on where you are in your perspective, in your life, um, in your age or whatever, sometimes you just miss things and you don't get them until, you know, 10 years later. So um, 
And I have no idea how long it would have taken me to get that. If you hadn't said that and I didn't mm-hmm. really kind of look at the two of them, yeah. I, I might have missed it for, you know, for decades. So it reminds me of that scene uh, in book two, I guess it was, where they're in Sorrow's End just before they go on the hunt or before they leave Sorrow's End. Mm-hmm. But uh, one, one Eye is braiding uh, Clearbrook's Clear hair. hair. Yep. Yeah. It's a yeah. great image. But this sort of reminded me of that. I love that because it's just like a, a very quiet moment between this loving couple. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we've talked about that in prior episodes, too, that those are some of our favorite things about ElfQuest, when you just get to see the characters doing their day-to-day thing without having, you know, big, earth-shattering drama. Um, yeah. And obviously the story can't be just that because it would be really boring. But right. um, getting to see little snippets of real life. Like family um, life. Totally, yeah it's, yeah. it's pretty awesome. I love that, too. Same thing with um, Chitter and Dart at the bottom of the page, and Chitter oh, yeah. yawning and stretching, and Dart's chuckling to himself. It's just like a a fun like moment between a brother and sister, and it's totally natural, and mm-hmm. yeah, just yeah. <laughs> nobody's fighting or... You know, like, right. well, it, it, you're totally right. I mean, it's 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 exactly what siblings do. I don't know if you have any any siblings, yeah, but I have a sister. Yeah, I mean, I was just um, home at my parents' house, and my um, my sisters were both there. My older sister came in from California, and and um, and we had a family wedding. But but this is what we do. Like we sit around and talk about our parents and roll our eyes and yeah. laugh at how ridiculous they are, you know. Yeah, and so exactly. <laughs> um, but that none of that is what I was going to say. Okay, tell me. The thing that I was going to say is um, in that wide shot where you see them sitting around the father tree, there's the, um, you know, sort of the, 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 uh, the text box there. And I'm just going to read it. Okay. Um, it says hidden in the outsized bowls of the father tree, dens softly lines with animal furs and fragrant dried leaves beckon the wolf rider, their wolf riding owners to their day sleep. Does this not make you want to run off into the woods and sleep in a tree den yes. in soft furs and fragrant dried leaves. I mean, th- that description is so sort of visceral and tactile and mm-hmm. old factory, like sensory, yeah. sensory. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, for hippy dippy nature lovers like myself, it's just like, it's one of the appeals of ElfQuest that, um, you know, this sort of idea of just sort of being immersed in nature and, you know, absorbing its smells and its feels and being cozy and yeah. So someone needs to open a resort like that somewhere. Totally. Totally. Well, just, just a, probably, a giant tree with, with huge bowls in it that you can yeah go inside and lie down in furs and dried leaves. Yeah. I'd be up for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and I will say I, um, I actually just bought a house and, um, moved in just about a month ago and, we actually decided to paint the master bedroom a really um, sort of rich, um, earthy moss green. And the house was built in um, 1939, so it's got all of the original woodworking that's never been painted. So the bedroom is this sort of rich moss green with the um, sort of medium-toned wood around the woodwork and the window frames and everything. And I realized you know, a week or two after moving in and getting settled that essentially what I just created was like a tree den. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it feels like in there. That's exactly kind of the mood that I was going for. So, so there you have it. I guess I am sleeping in my own, my own little, (laughs) well, I do have my own wolf friend who, um, we have heard before lucky. Um, and he was just running around here somewhere. I don't see him anymore. So Mm -hmm. maybe he'll make an appearance again. Um, all right. So, um, 
So uh, the story, you know, goes along. Oh, you know, we hear uh, Cutter and Lita saying, you know, they're really concerned about Ember. They know she's been trapped and that she's saying, you know, hold off. Don't come rescue me in the palace yet. You know, I want to try to not rely on the magic of the palace to cure every little problem that we have. And, you know, we see Nightfall saying, like, why don't we just fly her there? And Cutter kind of backs that up. And that, as we've talked about before, is just kind of necessary for the story because if the palace is the cure-all for everything yeah. you're not really going to have any good stories with any kind of strife and i think any, it does right. make a certain sen- kind of logical sense that particularly for ember and her band of wolf riders who are kind of tasked with preserving the traditional way of life that they would have that kind of rigid rule for themselves that unless it's a literal life and death thing but no how palace. stressful must that be for Cutter and Lita, right? How many totally. sleepless days would they be having over that? Well, this is this is something I'm glad you said that that um, that I think is important, and it might not be that obvious that the, the these these first few episodes or issues mm-hmm. um, are only taking place over the course of like a 24 36 hour time period. Yeah. Right. It's not like Ember has been, you know, tied up in the judge chair for days and days. I mean, no. and that also helps with the logic of her being able to send to Tyr and have him here because they're only, you know, they're not that far away. Um, but know, just the, the idea, though, that their daughter, regardless of how long the period is that she's been held captive, but the fact that she is being held captive by this human madman. Oh, um, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and, and that they can... Uh, restrain themselves from taking the palace to her immediately to uh, bust her out, basically. Right. Uh, I, I don't understand how they're able to do that. Right. I mean, well, I think that's what, incredible. Yeah, that's what, that's what you know, they're, they're, I think Wendy and Richard are recognizing that with that panel where they're just like, I, they, she hasn't left my thoughts for a moment. Um, yeah. So, um, so that, yeah, and so Cutter speaking, says at least they know their children are happy and safe. Right. They, yeah. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Amber, we cut to her um, and the next, you know, sort of scene, um, big chunk of the issue is this this sort of fascinating dance between her and um, Angriff Jun and, and their essentially matching of wills. And interestingly, it's mostly the Jun doing the talking. Um, and so um, I have a ton of thoughts on all of this, but um, OK. I guess uh, in no particular order, mm-hmm. um, it, it, I, I think it's a it's it's a, the way that the Jun is is basically sort of gleaning information out of Ember without her even talking is a testament to what a sly, cunning bastard he really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, this is not a bumbling idiot. Um, you know, like his father, he he is very very cunning and perceptive. And wily, um, and in some way, even though he's the villain, um, you can't help but respect his, him, if only for his his sort of repugnant ability to sort of manipulate and use his these natural born skills right. to the detriment of everybody around him. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, he's obviously highly intelligent, um, and he's able to rule um, by his wiliness and his uh, ability to kind of suss out information from people without even having to have them speak to him right um, right. like he's doing with ember right now as you pointed out um yeah so i mean the the guy is obviously a megalomaniacal um 
insane person, but uh, <laughs> he's a sociopath, but he's incredibly smart. He's not, he's not um, nuts, right? Right, he's right, not, right. He's not crazy to the point where he's like needs to be locked up. He's he's insane, but he's uh, he's highly intelligent. So yeah, and it's yeah. almost like he, you know, nature versus nurture. I mean, he probably. You know, we've seen elements of his really harsh upbringing and the way that his father kind of raised him to be this sort of cunning, ruthless person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you got to wonder, is it how much of it is innate and how much was it just sort of taught to him? Um, But either way, you know, he's clearly this is who he is. And, you know, I don't think there's any redeeming redemption for a character like this. Well, he murdered his own father, right? Right. Did he not murder his sister as well? Yeah, yeah. And so. Who knows how many others in between, or exactly. you know, in between then and now. So, um, yeah. so his the, his uh, lust for power is uh, unequaled, right? Mm-hmm. So the 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 really interesting thing um, in this scene here is is Ember's comment that you know when the Jun is saying you know I'm basically going to torture you with all this stuff, and she well, I, well well number one I love Ember because. You know, she uh, she's not very diplomatic and she's still for all of her, um, you know, her learning and her her wisdom that she's gained being a chief. She's still like, you disgust me. I wish I could barf on you. (laughs) Yeah. She calls him Um, a flap jawed badger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that that flap jawed badger. I'm going to use that at some point. I know. My day to day life. (laughs) But um, but but. You know, in true Wolf Rider fashion, part of, her, you know, there's, she's just naturally sort of taciturn and not very, you know, talkative. And she says that she's like, you basically use a lot of words to hide what you're really trying to say. Like, you're going to try to torture me. I get that. Um, or hurt me with them. She doesn't use the word torture. And I think that's important for what happens later. But right. you know, if you're going to try to hurt me with them, I'll just go out and leave my body. I won't feel it. Mm-hmm. And so that was like, oh, that's interesting. And I think that could be interpreted in many different ways. Um, I think you're definitely reading reaction to this on the forums. Um, you know, some people feel like, Oh, well maybe Ember sort of has like, you know, a, a specific magic ability, like her brother to sort of send her spirit out. Um, others were like, well, you know, basically that just means like she'll kind of black out and not feel it. Um, my yeah, take on the this term for that, right. Where people, humans who are going through, Right. or something they're able to kind of uh disassociate right i think that's the word i'm looking for yeah, yeah and, and that's kind of that's closer to my interpretation of this what i think is that just like sending the ability to sort of let your spirit like roam and kind of you know leave your body mm-hmm. is something that all elves can do mm-hmm. to some degree yeah and some of them can just do it much more easily and do it at will like sava and um and rayek and sunstream right and so i think that i mean we've seen other elves do this i mean think of red lance when he was near death when um when the humans in in the original quest um actually he did it twice um when he was you know so mortally wounded by the humans and so battered and traumatized by the trolls in the the troll war he basically sent his spirit out Mm -hmm. um now whether he did that like deliberately and if he could just do it whenever he wants i don't think so but i think it's something that they can probably all do under duress and i think 
Ember is cognizant of that, and and that's what she's getting at. I mean, I don't know for sure, but that's that's my interpretation of it. That sounds likely to me. I mean, I was thinking the same thing. I didn't. I I was wondering, you know, does Ember have powers that we don't know about, and is that what she's referring to? But I think it's more along the lines of this is something that they all have the ability to do, and given the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances, right? Um, like you said, if they're under duress, then it's it's easier for them to kind of uh, send their spirit out and and uh, disassociate from yep. their physical body if need be. It might be a survival mechanism. Maybe right. it's maybe it's instinctual to some mm-hmm. degree. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I just want to make a point on the um, the artwork actually on these pages. Uh, I love the design work that Wendy's done with this makeshift throne room set uh-huh. up for the for Angriff. Um, there's that screen in front of him um, that's set up oh, right, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. in front of Ember, I guess, to prevent her from seeing his junk that the right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> the physicians are trying to uh, to help him with. With their potions uh, and spells, like, yeah. that's going to do anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, just the it's so intricate, the design work on that screen specifically. And then also um, on his throne and yeah. uh, the chair that Ember's on, it's uh, all of it's so intricate. And also I noticed his, um, his crown as well. Um, oh yeah. I never really looked at that. It, it's really detailed. Uh, and I don't know uh, if anybody actually wants to look this up, but if you look up um, Nazi uh, symbolism, mm-hmm. um, the Nazis used an eagle uh, image that is very close to what um, the crown that Angriff is You're wearing. You're kidding me. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, exactly the same. Yeah. There's I don't know if that's some connection there. intentional or not on Wendy's part. Um, obviously, the eagle is sort of a um, historically uh, well-used symbol for power and strength but um yeah it's it's uncanny how close it is to the nazi symbolism there has got to be yeah and and i Mm -hmm. and i say that because uh, i mean number one like fabulous observation i'd never would have thought about that um but i mean we know that joellen Auklandis, um who created these these characters initially anyway or at least was part of the creation with wendy um you know, she she's of German origin, and mm. and you know some of the words, um, the, the names of the characters like Tier. Yeah, I think that we, we talked about this before, doesn't it? It means like animal in German, doesn't yes. it? Yes. So I would I would not be the least bit surprised if when Wendy was designing, um, designing the look of this crown, that she kind of went in that direction for inspiration. It's possible. It's I don't know. Possible. I, I mean, know. that's that's just what what I noticed when I observed it. Um, it might just be coincidence, but right, right. Who knows? But I, I, yeah, that's something that I noticed, and I, I mean, it's pretty fitting. For yeah, no, it's totally fitting. Yeah, um, German names Angriff. I think we figured out means anger. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm sure um, our our German um, fellow fans that are listeners will will let us know in the comments. Um, but um, 
But yeah, very fascinating. And maybe we'll be lucky and um, we'll get Wendy and or Richard to comment on it if they actually listen too. So um, I love hearing about Wendy's process as far as uh, the artwork goes. Um, I'm an artist myself. So to to hear about her process and how she comes to um, like final designs or, mm-hmm. or how she works as a comic book artist, like going through the roughs and then to inking, it's, it's fascinating to me. So yeah, I, agree. Um, I, I love hearing about the process. Yeah. I did too. And um, sidebar, going back to the uh, complete elf quest at the very back, um, there's a whole section showing um, some of the like the roughs, like the the layout pages and the sketches that went into and the scripts even that went into some of the pages in the original quest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking like lined notebook paper. Um, sort of layout, rough layouts of some of the pages, and you'll know exactly what pages they are. So that's another reason to pick up this book because you get a little bit of that, and it's some of it is stuff that has not been seen before. That's great. Yeah, I love seeing that. Yeah, um, at least I've never seen it before, and I'm pretty obsessive, and I think I've seen most of what's been put out there um, publicly. But um, well, that's partly why I'm looking forward to the um, the line of beauty and the Art yep. of Elf Quest, because from what I understand, from what Richard said, it's going to include a ton of artwork that nobody's ever seen before. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. something I'm really looking forward to. Me too. Um, so one last thing before we mm-hmm. move on to the 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 the, um, the rest of Ember's Wolf Riders under Tear. Yep. Um, on this last um, page in the scene where the Jun and Ember are squaring off, and she says in that panel that she'll she'll go out. That art right there, mm-hmm. that is Ember. You know, like we were just talking about that one panel of Strongbow. Like he looks a little bit off from yeah. the I- issue number one. Like that is classic Wendy Elfquest art right there, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that 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 could be lifted right out of the original quest and it would not, you know, the style change would not um, there. You know, it would it would mesh perfectly. So, um, Um, yeah. And what a perfect combination of her parents. It's so. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. While while still being her own individual Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. character. Um, But you can see the the qualities of both of her parents in her. It's, totally. It's amazing how yeah. he's able to capture that. I just want to mention at the top of that page, the top panel, I love the symbolism of Ongriff um, trapped within the what looks like jaws of mm-hmm. his torture device, which I right. think is some sort of... Um, uh, hint? <laughs> yeah, hint of, of what's to come, that maybe he's going to suffer... Uh, his ultimate demise at his own hands or at the, at the hands of his own evil machinations. But right. see, but I just love that because it, what that looks to me is like the jaws of a wolf. Yeah, totally. And uh, he's yeah, caught yeah. in it. Yeah. So, yes. And I would love nothing more than for him to get, to, to go the guttle crawl way. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> to be Absolutely. torn apart by wolves. Yes. Um, yeah. But time will tell. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see um, what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so. And then he, he mentions uh, at the bottom of that page in their dialogue there that he he realizes that Ember's sick, that she's not oh, right, feeling yeah. well. So he says, so obviously her physical um, body is showing signs of her, her weakness and frailty because of her uh, um, inability to uh, follow through on recognition with Tear. Right. Um, so it's yeah. definitely showing through and he senses that. So, um, but his... Uh, assumption is that it's because uh she's not around her wolves and right. uh, the other elves and that that somehow is draining her of her her life force i guess 
Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's what I was talking about, um, you know, about how he's sort of gleaning things from her without her even really talking mm-hmm. or giving anything away. He's that sort of clever. And even though he doesn't get it quite right, I mean, he gets the broad brushstroke and, you know, correct that she's she's suffering from something and it has something to do with separation with her tribe. Yeah. Right. So. Um, all right. All right. So now we're on to Tyr yeah. being Mr. Cranky Grumpy Pants and having no patience or tolerance for these damn kids mm-hmm. that Corbasi had to go and rescue. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of sympathize with him. I'd be, I'd be annoyed too with a bunch of kids. Suddenly they're forced into your pack when you're trying to escape from yeah. uh, these marauding humans who are trying to kill you. They're just yeah. down. But no, I, I I joke, but I you know I, <laughs> I'm I'm right there with you and and. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, we've talked about this too, uh, you know, what is the role of these kids going to be? Um, I would, I would not have any problem if they got written out pretty quickly and yeah. just went on their way or whatever. I mean, Corbasi, I like, I like sort of the lone human being part of the tribe, but, um, you know, a pack of kids running around tagging along is not, not no. an appealing idea for me. I mean, we'll see what Wendy and Richard decide to do with it, but, um, well, I have a feeling that wherever they're going to, this sanctuary, that that's where their storyline will end. Maybe they'll, you know, they're going to connect with another group of humans or something. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they'll be adopted into another family. But, um, uh, I mean, I'm glad that they got saved from, you know, death by the elves. And right. They, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not total as, monsters. No, as, <laughs> an, <laughs> as annoying as they are, uh, I'm glad they're not dead. Right. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> um, well, well, yeah. So the big thing in, um, in this, this scene here is we get a little bit more of a take or Wendy's take, Wendy and Richard's take on Tears Magic, which I think this is pretty interesting um, that, you know, that they've taken the time to really, really highlight that, you know, his um, his powers are not not like to command and control and enslave animals. But like he uses his powers for kind of the good of the group. And I think that that is I, I'm glad that, that that there's that sort of specific clarity, because in some of the Wild Hunt stories, um, you know, like there's he there might be an element of, of sort of overdoing tears ability to control like the wolves, the wolf rider wolves, when they go and like slaughter everybody, all the the cup horns or um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm no, over-exaggerating. I remember, but. Uh, yeah, no, I, I seem to recall that from Wild Hunt. It's been a while since I've read it, so I can't think of anything specific. But I do recall his power being used almost as a way to override free will of, right. uh, of, of animals and um, sort of use them, right? Whereas with right. his power, the way it's being demonstrated here, it's more of a... Um, uh, symbiosis, uh, where he's almost asking right, the animal right. if it will cooperate. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, I still think that his ability is to get the animal to do what he wants, but I think I think it's more about his philosophy towards it that you know he's willing to do that if it's for the good of the group. Um, and that, you know, when we first meet him, he really wasn't part of the Wolf Riders. So he wasn't willing to do that. In fact, he chides Ember when she tries to, you know, kill the baby Shagback that he has sort of brought under his, his magic, uh, his spell, if you will. And he's like, no, never the trusting ones. And I think 
I think this is explaining that things are different now, that Tyr really is one of the tribe and self-identifies that way. And he's willing to use his powers that way um, as long as it's for the good of his people and as long as it's sort of in that spirit of kind of symbiosis. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so our, our poor little frog friend um, is, is <laughs> you know, he becomes the meal for the hungry kids. And it was kind of funny hearing, you know, watching Tyr kind of, be like, okay, eat it raw and do it. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get anything. So. They have no interest in doing that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. I mean, okay, so as much as I, I like what you're saying about the philosophy of his power, um, this scene sort of struck me as a bit odd where he's calling an animal to basically sacrifice itself for the sake of of the these children. Um it just seems sort of manip- – it still seems manipulative to me. Well, this is what I'm saying. I don't think that that frog volunteered. Okay, well, how think, do you see it? I don't think that the, what, what they're, that, that's what this is trying to say. Okay. And, and again, I could be totally wrong on this, and I can mm-hmm. totally see how it can be confusing, but I thought about this a lot. Um, I don't think that the frog itself is volunteering. I think it's much more, again, about Tyr's attitude towards it. So – you know, it's like, I'm going to call you and kind of make you do this. And you're and, and I'm going to recognize that because you're you're the one giving your life and being, quote unquote, generous. And even like he says to the kid, like, you know, he's willing to feed you, not suffer for you. Um, I think that's more about, you know, how tear justifies it in his brain so when he is going to. Yeah. When he is going to make an animal do something that's going to cost its life. Okay, now I get what you're saying. That's my yeah. interpretation. Yeah. So that's his perspective on what he's doing, but when in actuality he is still controlling it. Yeah, because it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me either that, you know, uh, an animal would just willingly give up its life without some kind of magical intervention. Um, I don't know, though. It would be interesting to hear um, well, some more insight from Wendy and Richard on that. It, it would definitely be, but it says here specifically, it says magic not to command, not to enslave, but to call forth aid for the good of the group. So specifically says not to command not to enslave but um i don't know i mean i i if he's calling forth this frog and it's impaling itself on his sword i don't know how that could be you know interpreted in any other way except that either the frog is sacrificing itself of its own volition or he is actually controlling it and like you say he's in his own mind, justifying it as well, his right. own philosophy. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. again, like if you think about that that uh, that sentence, you know, magic not to command, not to enslave. What what the Jun does is command and enslave. What Guttlecraw did was command and enslave. Like he's and he's not. It's it's about the motivation. So his magic is not to basically make slaves out of these animals and um, you know sort of. Uh, use them for his own good and not recognize that it's it's to make them do what he wants but only for the good of the group mm-hmm. like so I, I don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm being too philosophical about it and maybe it is meant a little bit more literally it, and if that's the case then it, it is it is kind of weird to me that you know animals are portrayed to sort of sacrifice their life for no other reason but but again to me it's like if Tyr has magic and his magic is to control animals, then what's the point of 
I don't know. I just of don't like I, philosophizing about it. No, 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 no. Okay. Like, like if if his magic ability is to control animals, then um, why would he not use his magic ability and just wait for the frog to jump up and kill itself? Yeah. So right. I don't know. Again, I think I, I would love to hear more what everybody out there thinks about this. I didn't see too much discussion about this particular point on the forums or on Facebook, but let us know what you guys think. Um, and, and, and if you think that that's meant literally, or if it's meant sort of the, the way that I'm interpreting it as kind of a descriptive of tears philosophy, like he's willing to use his power to take lives of animals as long as it's for the good of the group. And then mm. that's his justification of it. And it's not basically to enslave and torture them which is what in his that's sort of the dividing line in his mind like he won't use his powers just to make animals do what he wants just cause you know it, right. it's because there's a sort of a desperate need for life right for uh, what does it say here um for the right for the good of call forth aid for the good of the group all right. I mean, yeah. even in the panel before, it says, you know, his magical ability is to blend his will with that of any beast, furred, feathered, with any beast, furred or feathered, feathered six-legged or scaled. Mm-hmm. So, um... He's like Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he's like. <laughs> yes. Here, Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> the elf course version of Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> I love the... Uh, what are you, what is that animal called in Doctor Doolittle? It's like a camel with two heads or something. I don't know. Oh God! I yeah. yeah. I it's been so long since I've read any of that. I I don't even remember. Uh, if we see us with two heads, we should. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I like the image at the top panel though. Um, in the background, you see all of the wolf riders uh, mm-hmm. getting a drink of water from this little creek. It's just I I just like that image of them all yeah yeah no it's it's funny that um that you just brought that up because i was just going to bring the same thing up and you know sort of another kind of glimpse into just sort of a, 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 a non yeah non-dramatic moment it's sort of a moment of rest and the other thing that i was going to say is that i really love how wendy has really depicted tillit and Dushine as really being attached at the hip yeah their best you friend. know like their 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 relationship is very clear Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're more than best friends, you know, they're life so. mates. Yeah. They've shared each soul names and, you know, like, I think they're, they're much more than, than just best friends. They're, For sure. you know, the full, the full blown relationship kind of thing. And I think that that is reflected in the way that Wendy has shown them, even though it's been in the background and not in the foreground. So, yeah. um, so before we go back to the next interaction with Ember and the John, mm-hmm. um, you know, we see Tyr again, basically being a big meanie and forcing these kids to eat raw frog, <laughs> which I can't imagine would be very appetizing. No. But um, but uh, but, you know, he's Tyr's kind of redeeming himself from his sort of, you know, whiny, crying, emotional mess, at least, um, you know, he. Yeah, he's kind of stepping up a bit to the plate yeah. now and, and not being a, a, a baby. Right. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the one other neat thing in, in the, on that page that I want to call out is um, we get to see Scouter back in his original orange and green color scheme. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just thought it was a nice little detail that, that. Um, that uh, you know, we haven't seen him in that color scheme really since like the original quest. So mm-hmm. that, uh, that I thought that was kind of neat. So, yeah, I like what he's wearing. Yeah. Just looking at him right now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely better than the marching band jacket that um, 
I think what Steve Levin's that? dressed him in. The marching band jacket? Okay, I gotta go back and look for that. <laughs> it's the one it's the one where it's got um you know, sort of uh horizontal um bands across the chest. Yeah. It just looks like a marching band jacket to okay. me. Okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm gonna have to go back and look for that. Um, and I think Wendy even commented on Facebook that that was not her her that she never would have designed that outfit. I think nope. she said so. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny and it's really funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So now we're back to um, the John and Ember, and now they're really kind of you know going tit for tat here. Um, mm-hmm. And Ember is speaking up a little bit, and and there's this creepy scene where the John. Is like, yeah, if you were taller, like Lady Venable, um, Winnow Will in disguise, you know, I might have some get some pleasure out of you. Yeah. Um, you know, which is again just sort of gross and icky, you know, because it's basically talking about, you know, sex slaves and rape and whatever. And um Did but, that ever happen with John with um Grommel John and Venable? It, it was never really spelled out, I don't think, for us. Um, if they but as far as we yeah, know, yeah, yeah, no, it was it, no, it was humans, because right? Because he says, uh, Grommeljohn says something along the lines of, um, he references, he's like, you know, you might steal my soul from me, you know, or ravage me the way that we did that first night. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. I'd have to go back and look it up. But if you look, you know, so so it, this is the shard storyline. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Winnowill kind of first appears in human form after um, the palace shatters and she's left in her guild form and she has to reshape herself. So she reshapes herself into a human and the Jun finds her and she basically seduces him right there. And I think that that issue kind of ends with with the two of them about to get it on. And then wow. like a few issues later, there's this reference to the fact that, you know, that she basically almost like sucked his soul out or something along those lines. So it, to me, it indicated that they did it that once mm-hmm. and that he was basically too afraid or it was too much, too intense for him to do afterward. Well, as far as we know, elves and humans can't have sex together. Well, right? or so, that it's, it's or, challenging and different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. So, but if any, I guess if any elf could, it would probably be win a will. Right. Exactly. Given and that the, the amount right. of power she had. And also the fact that she was able to, um, procreate with a troll, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and but that doesn't mean that um, that's that's sort of when both parties are willing. So that yes. doesn't mean that that um, if restrained, that Angriff couldn't do awful things to Ember. That you know she wouldn't be participating in. That he, you know, so just the thought of it is yeah, really it's just really and it's yeah, also disturbing. Yeah, and I'm really glad that um, on the one hand that it, Wendy and Richard chose to address it. Mm-hmm. But that they kind of dealt with it quickly and moved away from there because I think it it puts uh, that's just like it's not something that I ever really want ElfQuest to dive into that the whole idea of you yeah. know rape or whatever. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So uh, I, I do love though that um, that he's been using the um, the tapestry of Winnowill as target practice with all the yeah. blood spatters and the knife on it. Awesome. Um, that's kind of funny, but he uh, mentions Venka too, without saying her name, obviously. Yes, which but, which, uh, which is totally cool. You are small um, and dark of skin, like the one my father kept as a pet. Right. Yeah. So um, you've got a reference to Venka and to Winnowill. Yep. Yeah. And so you know that's 
for a new reader that might go over their heads, but I, you know, when you're talking about a series that's 36 years old, you're not going to have everything like there needs to be that kind of reference cross reference for us longtime readers. So it can't all just be totally intro new. material. So, no, no. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I like uh, little, I, I like Ember's little snide remark. Though, that's what so I was just going to say. Uh, yeah. His manhood. Yeah. yeah. She Based basically from whittle all chance of that away. Whittle all chance. Right. Of that away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She basically, you know, Ouch. T- takes out a, you know, a word barb and flings it right at him, right in his face. Mm-hmm. And his reaction is violent. And this is, this is, um, this is the kind of evil and violence that I think makes ElfQuest good. Um, you know, there's this, like, we finally see him physically threatening her. Mm-hmm. He puts his hands on her and strangles her. And, you know, it, I mean, it's, I hate to see it, but at the same time, it's, it adds kind of the weight that I think an, a really good dramatic ElfQuest story needs. Um, For sure. I mean, it, it shows us how far he's willing to go. Right. And how, how quickly he can turn and get vicious and violent, physically it, violent. So Fox faced wench is what he calls her. Yeah. Which I like too, because Ember, you know, with the red hair definitely sort of has a foxy kind of feel. Yeah. She uh, called him a flap jawed badger. He called her a fox faced wench. There you go. <laughs> but, um, but the real revelation is when you flip the page and you see, you know, um, him, him kind of gripping her neck and, and he's saying like, you don't get it. Like you're, you're not reacting to my threats of torture and like, could it be that like you have no idea what torture is or that, you know, that, that you can use pain in a manipulative way mm-hmm. and that you have no, like you have no idea of, of what does he say of cruelty as an art form, which of course the wolf riders don't, that's no. not how they live their life. And, not their way. and then this is where it really like, it's even right now, I just got a chill down my spine. Mm-hmm. He realizes that. And then he takes a step back and he, kind of thinks about it and he realizes that this is an opportunity to be even more vile and nasty and and just all of those awful words because he's like oh i'm not just going to torture you i need to educate you on why torture is so horrific before i even start doing it to you because if you don't know what i'm doing to you then the pleasure in doing it is, is reduced for me. So first mm-hmm. I have to basically let you know what torture is and why it's so horrible. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do it to you. What I mean, sad commentary on humans too, because he says you have no idea what we humans are really capable of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A sad um, commentary. Totally. And it's true. Um, mm-hmm. That's why. So, um, yeah. so yeah. So I thought that that whole scene and interaction was again, more kind of classic, Elf quest and just oh i mean i'm just looking at his face in that picture where he's like kind of smiling and being like yeah like what you just said the line where he says you have no idea what humans are are really capable of it's like mm-hmm. mm. and, and then we get that, that that last panel of him where it's uh, where he says i must educate you yeah and obviously um enjoying the thought of of doing yeah. that and yeah. then again we get a close-up of his eyes which look right. crazed and then his crown as well which earlier i referenced as maybe having some symbolic we gotta find out you uh yeah (laughs) somebody hopefully will will you know we'll we'll get it out of wendy or richard or somebody um so um yeah so now we switch back to the mm -hmm. other kind of group of people and this is rathal um um angriff john's son who right right however you say it (laughs) 
Wrath uh, every episode. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> no, I, I have insight into this one. Oh, okay. Because um, at San Diego Comic-Con, um, I heard Wendy say that she refers to him as Rathal the Athole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So I think that that, um, that, that kind of sums it up. And, um, <laughs> and we see um, that he kind of bears out being, um, being called that. You know, I think in, in, in pre- prior issues, we were like, is he going to be like a good guy? He's going to be kind of like a secret so- ally. But he really kind of shows himself to be just sort of a snivelly, like he's, he, maybe he doesn't want to be hunting the elves, but he's going to do it because he knows that he has to, because his father's making him and he just wants to get it over with and kill them all. So he seems, you know what? I think he's enjoying it to some degree though. I think he's got a lot of his father in him. Yeah. 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 So I was, uh, I was way off the mark, um, a couple of episodes ago where I said he might turn out to be somebody who, uh, might help the elves. Yeah, um, I, I I think that that's that's probably right. So yeah, um, unlikely. Right. Um, okay, um, so they're searching for Ember's tribe. They find uh, they find Wolf Scat. Um, they find uh, footprints, and they right. notice that one of the footprints is a, a human child's footprint. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Rathel trying to figure that out. Rathel and his men. Um, right. And here's here's another great example of again sort of the traditional European uh, mythologies about the like sort of the elves and the fairies and the fey folk um, as being child robbers of of, of capturing children. Oh, that's um, interesting. I didn't think of that either. You know, here's another example of that that concept being completely told in a totally different way. In Elf Quest, but it's that idea that you know that the elves will steal your children. That's fascinating. You know what? Somebody's got to write some sort of university dissertation <laughs> on Elf Quest and how it connects to European folklore. Yeah, and yeah. kind of takes the those tropes and and uh, turns them over in in a, a new way. Yeah, it's I mean, really it's actually almost... fascinating. I don't know if if that's the intention though, Wendy and Richard, to approach it that way, or if if it's. Um, I have to guess that that it is on some level. I, yeah. yeah, I mean. I mean, again, if you go back to the original quest and, and when we, you finally hear the story of the High Ones, um, you know, at the very end told by Timaine in the Scroll of Colors, it's like they knew from from the beginning that the elves were going to basically inspire, by, you know, because of the whole time thing. They got flung back in time and that they themselves were going to inspire humans gods and religions and and fantasy and mythologies that freaking blew my mind man when i read that the first time right i mean i was 10 years old and i i think it probably didn't really i didn't really grasp it uh you know to the depths of like when you actually sit and think about it and your mind starts going in those circles but um 13 so i was old enough to kind of like get it yeah and i was just blown away i can't imagine what it must have been like for the original fans who were following it uh, when the issues were first coming out, waiting, what was it, every four months for an yeah. issue? Mm-hmm. And to finally get <laughs> to that ending where you find out through the scroll of colors and to main what actually, what the elves actually are and where they right. came from. Like, that must have just been, like, mind-blowing back then. Totally, yeah, yeah. And it, well, I mean, it still is if you it think about is. it. It still is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, Oh, I know what I was going to say is yeah. that, uh, you know, whether or not it's conscious, I, I don't know. I mean, 
Wendy's a fan of Shakespeare. Uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream is all about, um, you know, sort of the 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 Fey folk, Titania and Oberon, you know, kind yes. of fighting over this human child that they've stolen, this changeling. Um, you know what's so, strange? Uh, can I just interject for a second? You just yeah. mentioned a Midsummer Night's Dream. It's funny. I was just looking at clips of that today on YouTube, the nineteen thirty-five version mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Uh, Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? I actually did just see it recently. Yeah. What a, an amazing production for the time. Completely amazing. Completely and amazing. Incredible effects. Um, but while I was watching it, I was thinking, I wonder if Wendy's ever seen this. Because at certain points, Oberon and Titania are, are flying. And I mm-hmm. was immediately thinking, that's the gliders right there. Yeah. I, I, I have it on good authority that she has seen it. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and, and she's a huge fan of it. In fact, she did um, several years back. She, when she was doing those um, sort of uh, fantasy art prints, she did yeah. her version of uh, Titania and Oberon, and they're still available. I think if you, I know that when they go to conventions, they still have prints of those that they that Wendy and Richard will sometimes sell. So, um, you know, keep your eyes peeled for that. But That's uh, right. yeah, but yeah, Very- she's definitely a fan of of it, and I know for a fact that she's seen the movie. Um, and adores it so yeah yeah it was beautiful um but i interrupted you Uh, um what was i saying um well we were talking again about just Um, this is another kind of very subtle tiny little example of how um this european mythology about the fey folk kind of crops up in elf quest this idea that the oh of course they're well known for being cradle robbers so um and that reminds me of um uh uh, in Hidden Years with, uh, <laughs> who did Tulit raise? Little Patch. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Um, yeah. You, the same you and Trace Dom for getting poor Little Patch. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I live in the now of wolf thought. What can I say? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, same idea, right? Uh, where it's a, a human child raised by the fey folk, by the elves. Right. Um, that's it, exactly, it's, it, yeah. it's, that's it right there. Yeah. Um, Shuna too, you know, and Shuna has the whole sort of Joan of Arc archetype, as well as sort of the the, the human raised by elves. So um, we haven't she... seen much of Shuna in recent issues. The last time we saw her was in the special. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. I mean, right. we haven't really seen much of Cutter's tribe, and what we have seen has focused on Moonshade. Yeah, um, and Strongbow. Um, so. But yeah, that's that, uh, um, her archetype. Yeah, it, there was definitely a Joan of Arc vibe going on there. But now she's more changed into a um, Jane Goodall type. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, she is sort of a, 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 a an ambassador for peace and understanding and um, uh, just uh, general goodness. Yeah. And, and that uh, you're right. I think Jane Goodall is 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 our real life world embodiment of, of all that. And having met her on several occasions, um, I can I can definitely say that. So that's oh, have you? kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh um, wow. And um, well, you know, I work in wildlife conservation, yes. so you know our paths cross sometimes. But oh. um, but it's interesting that you say that too, because there is actually a physical resemblance between Shuna. And Jane Goodall. Shuna's features are maybe a little bit longer, mm-hmm. but they have that same kind of willowy, you know, sort right. of physical body and um, 
kind of tall and thin and they both have the sort of the long hair parted in the middle. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is some uh, design elements I, I can see. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, um, I just want to talk about those kids again that are with the tribe. <laughs> um, it's possible, yeah, as annoying as they are, it's possible that they may grow up to be sort of the counterpoint to the Junslanders who from what I gather, are very much um, anti-elf. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe these kids will influence other populations of humans to be more um, open to the idea of these other beings. Yeah, that's 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 pretty fascinating. Um, that's something I hadn't thought about, um, that maybe you're right. Maybe they, they're going to find this sort of sanctuary that Corbasi has mentioned um, as being part of the Long Riders mythology, and maybe they'll find a tribe of people there. Maybe they'll become a tribe of people there that uh, you know sort of are friendly towards the elves, and will begin to shift the thinking. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So by by the time of say like um, the future quest or future mm-hmm. folk, mm-hmm. there there seems to be a, a dichotomy in um, the populations of abode. Whereas one element is sort of um, antagonistic towards the idea of the sojourners and another is more um, curious and open to them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, so bef- yeah, so, you know, we see poor Dubois, as I'm guessing his name, who the foolish yeah. little kid lost his shoe. I mean, it's, that, totally, it's totally something a kid would do. Is that tongue in cheek, uh, that name? Like... The boy, the boy, <laughs> and is the other one the girl? <laughs> I don't think so. But... No? No? Okay. <laughs> but now, yeah, sure. that's yeah, that that just gave me a good chuckle. Um, <laughs> and now, of course, every time I see the character, that's what I'm going to think of. He's the uh-huh. boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now now we are dubbing the the girl. The older girl whose name was not God. She's now the girl from here the on girl. out. All right. Until, until we corrected, until we find out what her real name is. Because we know that the little girl's name, um, I think from the next issue, I can't remember what it is, but um, but at any rate. Um, all right, yeah. So Du Bois, yeah. you know, dumb kid loses his shoe. And I really love the fact that Dushine kind of steps up and, um, you know, kind of has this sort of, uh, maternal, maybe even grand maternal kind of feel to her here. You know, it, it seems like Dushine kind of, kind of is playing the role that Clearbrook has traditionally played. Mm, very interesting. You know, sort of just kind of wise yeah. and caring and an elder, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of this this you know sort of female energy power um, kind of thing. Where you see, you know, you see. Scouter and Tear being like these dumb kids. Ugh, I can't believe we had to take them. And then we see, um, you know, maybe the feminine wisdom, if you will, and nurturing side of things in embodied in Dushine. And she's like, you know, you don't mean that. Be your higher self. Without us, they're going to die. And then she, you know, cuts some leather off of her own cloak. But interestingly, and I love this, she's still an elf and she's still a wolf rider. And she doesn't go and wrap the kid's foot. She hands it off to Corbasi and is like, make them understand that they're going to get kicked out unless they get their act together. And here, go wrap his foot up. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought that was kind of funny too. And, and, and not, not, not uh, funny on one level, but also a, a great 
again, sort of totally in character for these, um, you know, these, these beings, these creatures that are so not human Mm -hmm. and that even just being around humans that are not one of their own, like Mm Corbasi, you know, like Dushine would much prefer, you know, she wants to help the kid and, but she doesn't necessarily relish interacting with him. Um, if she can have Corbasi do it, she'll do that. Right. So. And also the fact that, um, well, like you're saying, I, Dushine is sort of embodying this wisdom and um, and compassion towards these these poor human children. But also she's um, at the same time very, um, uh, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like she wants to get down to business, basically. Like, okay, here's here's my part of my cloak. Wrap, wrap up their feet. Go tell them to, like, you know, um, yeah. behave themselves because right. we, we've got to get the hell out of here. Right. Um, and of course, Corbasi goes and does just that, um, you know, makes the point that they got to get their act together again. And and this is I thought this page was really great. And the scene, because it, you know, it sort of humanizes the elves somewhat. I mean, he says, you know, they've lost their home and their families just like you have. And so mm-hmm. it kind of makes the elves, uh, you know, sympathetic characters. And of course, it gives an opportunity, a, a natural opportunity within the flow of the story to do a little bit of a roll call and yes. for, for the new readers. Like I was just talking about a few minutes ago that mm-hmm. there's definitely stuff in there that only longtime readers who have read all of the various storylines are, are really going to understand. Well, here's, here's a chance for newer readers to kind of get caught up on, you know, some of who these characters are, or just, you know, maybe longtime readers that haven't read anything since the original quest and really don't know who characters like Sust and Poole and even Talit and Yun or Mender are. Um, I think it's it's great. Yeah. Uh, You know what this reminded me of this page with um, the roll call, like you said, is the um... The first issue where Cutter kind of, you know, goes through the roll call of at least the male elves. um, Oh, that's not what I was thinking of, but you're right. What were yeah. you thinking of? I was thinking of the center spreads that came out in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Where you got all the t- different tribes. Right. And then they had all their, their names without the descriptions, but you got right. the names of all the characters. Um, and also um, in the original quest, uh, on the original issues, there was uh, character um, portraits of everybody. Right. right. Um, and that, actually, that's true, too, yeah. You know what? I know how busy Wendy is um, and Sunny. But if there's one thing that I would love to see in the final quest is a new collection of centerfolds with all the tribes in their new incarnations. Yeah, that would be really cool. That would be amazing. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get that. but No, I mean, I know it's like a ton of work to have to do that, but yeah. that would be so cool. Right. Yeah, you know, honestly, now that you say that and thinking back to that time, um, which was the 90s when there were multiple ElfQuest titles going on mm-hmm. and Wendy was out um, – really pushing for an ElfQuest movie out in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Wendy wasn't drawing ElfQuest at that point. In time. No, no. So that probably is the only reason why we got those center spreads because, you know, she did 12 illustrations or however many of them there were, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they appeared over the course of several months in, in different, um, you know, titles or whatever. So yes. that's probably the only reason we have those, which I'm so grateful for because they're amazing and i love i love them yeah getting those um sort of character lineup sheets like that but i I highly doubt that wendy would have the time to do that now but you never know probably i'm gonna i'm gonna hold out hope though yeah so the other thing that i just totally 
think is the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. that I didn't notice until this page is um, look at Corbasi up at the top, um, the top panel on that page. Yes. And then go down and look at Yun at the bottom. Yeah. Notice anything similar? Their their shirts. Yeah, they both the have this sort of yeah. V-shaped motif, uh, uh, like uh, you know, sort of the cowl, if you will, I guess, around their, um, you know, the top of their shirt, mm-hmm. and it's just like, yeah, another you know, visually connecting characters, you know, without having to spell it out every single time that there's a connection there, um, you know, kind of like Scouter and One Eye wearing the same hat when we originally that's, meet them. That's amazing that you um, made that observation because I didn't notice that before. And he even refers to Yun. She is my mother in all but blood. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, they have that visual motif that connects them together. Isn't right. it interesting that Yun or Yun um, raised Corbasi a human where her father was the most uh, anti-human elf going for a yeah, while yeah well yeah. i think that's a testament to the fact that we don't have to inherit our parents prejudices definitely yeah you know? yeah and i don't know if that was intentional or not but um but yeah um so going on to the next page um mm-hmm. you know they corbasi is still kind of scold not scolding but gently schooling these kids the boy and the girl <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, you and, know what um, I was wondering? I wonder what's going to happen if and when Corbasi and Shuna meet up. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I wonder if Sparks could fly. Well, she's physically older than him, but, but she's age-wise, she's probably... Haven't they both been kind of uh, had their aging reversed? Or Yeah, but it looks like, you know, for him, it's like, you know, he looks like he's probably in his late 20s, where yeah. she's like in her 40s. Yeah. Which doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything, but no. um, but yeah, that yeah. I I am curious about that. We'll but even if it happen. if there wasn't a romantic uh, relationship, just to see the two of them interact and sort of maybe trade experiences uh, totally, on, yeah. on living with the elves. Well, I could see um, Corbasi being sort of the the equivalent of Shuna, um, but only in Junsland, sort of being a missionary, if you will, mm-hmm. um, spreading that message of peace and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So um, I could see that, too. I don't know if that's his fate, though. It doesn't seem like he's being set up to be like that in any way. He seems very much more integrated into, well, I wouldn't say more integrated into the tribe, but more content with his place as a member of the tribe, whereas Shuna definitely has this yearning to go out into the world right. and sort of um, bring her message to other uh, to, to human civilization. Yeah. I don't well, think Corbasi really has that urge. Yeah. Well, time will tell, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so, but I love this page here too, this interaction between Ember and Tear, because, you know, you really get to kind of see, how ember really has that chief's wisdom and maybe that's innate maybe it's because she was raised to think like a leader mm-hmm. and you know we hear you know tears basically like you know oh no what are we gonna do like our enemies are gonna catch us we gotta ditch them and she's like take a take a deep breath you know think you know don't just jump to a conclusion to make a, a rash decision like we, what are the, what uh, what else could you do to get out of this and you know she suggests getting you know more more you know the animals for them to ride basically mm-hmm. which of course is like totally logical but if you know if you're an inexperienced leader and you're in the heat of the moment 
like tier is like, you know, you're not necessarily going to think about that. And so I really liked that, that, you know, really kind of shows why Ember really is good at what she does. Yeah, she is. She's a, she's a competent, very competent chief. Exactly. Um, she's, she's thinking about her tribe. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I love that image, the panel, uh, mm-hmm. of the two of them. Um, their, their faces are split in half on either side of the mm-hmm. panel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just shows the, um, Wendy's uh, originality in designing elves, where they all share the same basic features, but yet they're still each totally unique mm-hmm. in their own individuality and their own physical representation. Um, you can see Tears' eye is um, uh, at a different angle than Ember's, yep. um, but they mm-hmm. both have you know the large elf eyes. Their lips are are significantly different um mm-hmm. is it their, eyebrows, their eyebrows everything yeah. yeah yeah it's just really neat yeah and this is another great um example of where you can see the um the the subtle difference in skin tones they both yes. sort of are are brown skinned if you will but mm-hmm. ember is a much richer sort of desert um brown mm-hmm. inherited from her sunfolk heritage where tear is as wendy has described him sort of olive skinned Yes. And so he's got these sort of warm tones in his skin from, you know, life living out on the open plains, but he's not as dark as a, as a, as a, as a sun villager. And, um, and that's a coloring that we really haven't seen up until Wendy and now Sonny paying attention to the detail. You know, before it was like Tyr was brown skin, like all brown skinned elves had the same color brown skin, whether it was Dart or Ember or Lita or tier mm-hmm. and um and i love getting these subtle gradations of that and different skin tones it's just it's a real testament to the time that they're spending on this art which it, it shows and i think Definitely. that's that's awesome yeah um, and then you get to the wave dancers and they've got like gold skin and totally yeah silver yeah yeah oh they all have different skin tones yeah um so, uh, all right. So, yeah. So, Tyr uses his magic. He calls out um, the deer from the woods. And well, um, I just want to talk about the um, the way his power is portrayed here. So, it it's concentric rings flowing out from mm-hmm, his head, mm-hmm. basically, right? So, from his mind, where mm-hmm. their powers originate, um, which is significantly significantly different from how we've seen it um, portrayed in Hidden Years, where it was more uh, shown as his aura. Um, an energy around him that would sort of mimic the animal that he was interacting with. Um, so that's a significant change as far as how his power is portrayed. Uh, yeah, that's visually. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I so always, I'm, I always, to myself, described his power as aura shaping. Um, uh huh. But I mean, I, I don't think that's how Wendy and Richard have described it. It's they say it's more like an animal. How did they say? Well, they just said it. I mean, it's like it's a power of the mind in this in this episode. Let's flip back. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, the magical ability to blend his will with that of any any beast Um, magic. It's the word the elves use to describe any power summoned from the mind and will to make things happen. So what what you're talking about, um, we've talked about, too, in a a prior episode is this is my take on it. I think Tyr has a natural ability to sort of mimic the feel of an animal mm-hmm. um, in a way that the animal does not is not put on on alert 
Um, and there, 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 I mean, this happens in, in the animal world, you know, how you move dictates how an animal will respond to you and how they respond to each other, you know, like in the simplest way of, of that, of, of giving an example of that is, is, you know, when you're faced with a predator, never run, because if you run, mm. it's going to trigger that predator to come after you. Mm-hmm, that and so you're, and so that's a very broad, big example, but, and, and I don't think, you know, humans generally have the ability to do this, but the way that it was presented, I kind of take it as like, you know, again, Tyr has this sort of innate ability that, um, that he, that he, you know, was taught by his father to sort of move and feel and maybe sort of kind of express an aura like an animal so that they don't fear you. Mm-hmm. And that that's why he never realized that he actually had magical powers because he just thought he was doing what his dad taught him. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, he tried to teach Ember to do that and she was hopeless at it because of her wolf blood. Um, she could only be that sort of predator, but, but at the same time as having that kind of learned ability, that aura kind of mimicking that you're talking about, he's got this actual magical ability to, to, to really control the will of animals. Um, and that again, even he didn't realize that maybe that it was magic, that it was just a skill that he had. Right. Um, he obviously gets it now, but that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Wendy generally has always presented magic in sort of you know concentric rings or like a ring around the body or the magic. Well, certainly for healing, definitely it for healing that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but even for things like rock shaping and plant shaping and floating, it's not necessarily the the geometric circles, but there's always that sort of an aura aura around the magic that's happening. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's, I don't know if there's anything significant to the fact that she's portraying it that way versus how other artists did in the past. But, yeah. um, but it's an I, interesting observation. It's, it's definitely consistent with the way that she's portrayed, um, elf, elf in powers, but right. certainly different from the way that it was portrayed in hidden years. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's just a, a visual, uh, a choice on her part as the artist. Yeah, I think that's probably all all there is to that. Um, but um, I would like, I guess, more of an explanation of his power. Uh, I, I know that it, we've kind of been given one here, but I like the nuts and bolts of that. And I mean, we've discussed this before about ElfQuest and how it doesn't necessarily have to fit into those things. But I mean, I know what rock shaping is, right? It's the ability to shape rocks. And I know what plant shaping is, whereas Tears power seems a bit more amorphous and and not quite clear to me exactly how it operates or what he's doing uh, right mm-hmm. yeah no I, i'm i'm curious about sort of the inner workings of that too i don't know that we'll get any more than the explanation that we just got in this issue that or even you know it, specifically what it's called right where you have a rock shaper or a plant shaper or a healer well what is tears power called right right and well it, control or i don't know yeah yeah i yeah that, that's a good one i mean i always kind of put tier in the category um of what the what the old school uh role-playing game described as an animal bonder oh i like that okay yeah um and maybe and i think tier is like sort of like an animal bonder on speed yeah and the other examples that we've seen of it it's sort of like you know an elf can kind of develop a bond with a particular animal um, and not necessarily control it per se, but maybe influence it. And I'm thinking of elves like Oak Root, um, Tanner, the elf chief that from the Blood of Ten Chief stories, you know, had an experience where he sort of bonded with this sort of fox-like animal. Um, 
And then, uh, frankly, I think the, ch- the Chosen Eight, part of why they were chosen was that they are they have some sort of animal bonding ability mm-hmm. and that they were able to bond with the giant hawks, um, maybe on a magical level. And, and, and that helped them sort of control them. But even Aurori said there are limits. I mean, she even uses the word bond in, in Siege of Blue Mountain. She says... You know that there are limits to the um, the control that her bond gives over Little Trill, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I think that it is a, an ability that we've seen before, both mm-hmm. de- in, in clear, clearly canonical stories like um, Siege of Blue Mountain and The Chosen Eight, and then also in the Blood of Ten Chiefs stories, which may or may not be fully canonical. But um, I don't see anything in those stories about Tanner when he was a kid and called Oak Root that would be conflicting with what we know and not canonical. So I just think tier mm-hmm. um, in tier it's, it's several notches higher. Um, it's, you know, the, it's the power of doolittleism. Yes. It's the doolittleism. I'm, po- I'm pointing that term. <laughs> That's it. Um, and you know, for that matter too, Tildak probably had some, some ability. I mean, we see Tildak in hidden years when um, he, he kind of rallies the, the birds, the and, and the offspring, not even the, the the giant hawks that actually were raised by the gliders. Mm-hmm. It's the offspring of those birds. And he's able to sort of rally them and kind of control them enough so that Kavi and Yun and Chot can learn how to ride them. That's interesting. I so always maybe, attributed that just to the fact that the um, the giant hawks recognized him and their offspring just inherited that sort of the same way that dogs inherit um, uh, the ability to respond to humans, right? well, yeah, just yeah, because they've been domesticated. Yeah, they're right there, and that that's another explanation that is equally valid. That they're just, in, in essence, those giant hawks are kind of semi-domesticated, mm-hmm. and they're they've been bred for so many generations that even offspring that have never seen an elf kind of innately. Yeah, they don't have the natural fear that a wild animal would. Right, they genetically have, you know, become right. accustomed to right. the gliders. I don't know. But, I mean, so, you could be right. Maybe there's some some element of that. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, it's never been stated. But, you know, I, I, I think for the Chosen Eight, I think there's a stronger argument. Um, and, and Tildak, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, so, so speaking of of sort of animal behavior, mm-hmm. the next uh, this next scene here, where you know Tyr kind of uses his magic to call this herd of deer out of the woods, um, and again we kind of are reminded that the only reason that he's okay doing this is because it's for the good of the group. Yes. Um, but then there's the panel that says, you know, to know animals' mind is that an alien concept? And this is one that I have a little bit of trouble with. Of course, as a naturalist, you would. <laughs> yeah, because. Because I'm sure you have examples of that not being the case. Well, I think I think that one of okay. So I, how to articulate this? Because there's a couple points I want to make. Is that um, you know from from a biology point of view, um, most animals actually have the opposite mindset that they don't have sort of a sense of altruism, and they don't really think about the good of the group. They think about themselves surviving. Right, and it's and instinctual. E- Right. And even in social animals where you mm-hmm. do see altruism, mm-hmm. um, it really it, it, it's interesting to think about it from a, a genetics point of view and an evolutionary point of view, because, you know, even animals like wolves that do protect each other, um, they protect those most related to them. Mm-hmm. And from a genetic point of view, there's a, 
sort of a, a totally non um, uh, uh, romanticized reason for that. It's because, you know, my goal in, in any living being's goal is to reproduce and pass on its genetic material. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, you know, you can't do that yourself, the next best entity to do that is like your sibling or your parent. Mm-hmm. So in altruistic animals, there's been a sort of evolutionary and genetic um, motivator to for those animals to be social and to protect each other. Right. So even in those scenarios, even social animals, you know, aren't necessarily cognizant of and thinking of this idea of the good of the group. No. Um, you know, like they're 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 protecting the group, but it's it's really kind of like down in their reptile brain. You know, protect my family. Um, and ultimately, it's it's again so that those genes that exist in both of you have an opportunity to get passed on. Um, right. so I'm not, I think, I think where Wendy is going with this is, and, and this is something that I, I think is important to remember when you read stuff in ElfQuest and, um, and even stuff that, that they share in editorials and on social media is that, um, much of what, in, what goes into ElfQuest is almost sort of philosophy and, you know, with, and with heavy doses of spirituality and spiritualism mm-hmm. thrown in there. And I think mm-hmm. that's really kind of um, what this is trying to say that, like, maybe not from a hard biology point of view, but like in the grand scheme of like, you know, from that sort of spiritual view that, you know, our our ecosystems are sort of these symbiotic things. And I think that's a valid way of looking at them, too, in addition to kind of the hard science. And I think that's kind of where Wendy is kind of going with this, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, when I read this, the first thing that popped into my head was that these deer sound like they're communist. <laughs> <laughs> I think just like it's probably a good idea to not um, get overly zealous with the application of real life biology, probably um, real life political politics and <laughs> yeah, the natural might not world. be the best way to understand what Maybe they're not. trying to do with ElfQuest. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, <laughs> well, no, listen, get, between between the yeah. hive mind in the palace, mm-hmm. you know, and the the thought police in there, and then this whole little bit. I mean, who knows? <laughs> here? I don't know. If this if this were the fifties, maybe they, um, you know, Joseph McCarthy would be coming after when he <laughs> for yeah. a witch hunt. <laughs> yeah, they'd be uh, on trial. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know what? Actually, I, they I, definitely would be on trial, and this would be the least reason for it. Yeah, <laughs> it would be the orgy. That would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I told you I'd get it into every episode. There you go. <laughs> I forget every every episode, so you know it's always a surprise. <laughs> um, um, you know what? No, I I completely understand what you're saying. Uh, Maybe within the context of the entire natural world, um, whether or not the deer are cognizant of it, which I don't think they would be, just by virtue of the fact that they're instinctually um, operating the way they do within nature, um, the good of the group is ultimately is ultimately what benefits from the behavior of each individual animal. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's kind I mean, of what I was saying, yeah. Yeah, because the the herd benefits from the um, behavior of each individual, even though each individual isn't conscious of its right. behavior being beneficial to the herd. 
Yeah, and I guess that's that's the part where it that where it's a little bit up. Oh, there's Lucky. Yep. Hey, Lucky. <laughs> Saying hi to everyone. Um, it's getting near our time for our, our evening walk, so yes. he's barking out the door, and we're almost done with this this issue. And I'll I'll, I'll say we're we're like probably close to two hours now, so yeah. I'm thinking that we're not going to get to issue number four. No. So, um, which is, is it, yeah, we'll 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 ca- catch up sooner rather than later. Anyway. Um, is just that um, I I completely lost my train of thought. Um, we were talking about the deer and <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I I know like lions will kill uh, lion cubs that aren't their own progeny, right? Exactly. Yeah. You and know, that's so. and that's that's this is exactly what I was talking about. Is that is that um, a male lion if it takes over a pride will kill the young that were sired by the previous male Mm -hmm. and that seems horrific and whatever. But the reason they do that is so that the females come into heat and they can breed with the females and pass on their genetic material. So, and in a way that is kind of for the good of the group, is it not? Well, no, I I mean, mean, it's not from, I, and I use the word good, um, in the sense that the balance is maintained. Um, well, and I don't know. I mean, I think you can argue that it's certainly not good for the cubs that are killed or for the <laughs> mothers that, you know, I mean, they're, these are, you know, mammals, intelligent. They definitely have sort of animal level emotion. So sure. it's got to be traumatic. So I don't know if it would be for their good. It's it's certainly good for the for the genetic line of the yeah. dominating males that come in. Right. So right. Um, but I don't think we need to belabor, you know, <laughs> get no. into a, a crazy biological discussion on this. But um, oh, I, again, I, I, I'm choosing to kind of read this commentary sort of from that sort of bigger picture spiritual way of interpreting nature versus, you know, hard right. biology. The but um, passing idea of nature and maintaining the balance of. Yeah, nature. that's how I took it to me. Right. Or communist. Or communist. <laughs> um, One or the other. Right. The so really trying to say with ElfQuest. Right. <laughs> We're on um, to you, Wendy and Richard. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Um, <laughs> so so yeah, so we see the um, the kids get on the the backs of the deer, and I love the fact that they that uh, that it's a reference that they're from this like horseback riding culture, so hmm. they're very comfortable on the backs of sort of a four legged animal. So yep. there's that a was boy c- and a girl on their deer. Yes, the there's deer? the boy and the girl and the, the other deer? girl and the other boy. <laughs> um, and then and then, you know, and then we see Rathal and his his crew realizing that there's uh, that they're riding deer. And he's like, yeah, he's basically like, damn it. What are they? They're riding demon deer now. Like, what's going on? You know what? Um, quick point. I want to mention this before I forget. Mm-hmm. Getting back to animals and nature and stuff uh, and the good of the group. Uh, before I forget in issue four, the next one. Uh, there's a little moment where Ember references something about uh, wolves eating their cubs. Yeah. And she talks about it as though it's totally natural and uh, a natural occurrence in their world. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that I don't know if that connects to this scene or and what we're talking about in any way. It just seems to be some, maybe have some connection to it. Mm, I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Go back and read. Get to that. Yeah, when we talk about that, let's try to remember to come back to this. um, To the deer as well. Um, So, so yeah, so here, all of a sudden, we shift scenes. We turn the page, and suddenly we're back in the palace. And here comes Winkin flying in, 
you know, completely oblivious to, to, um, to Audrey and even to Sava. And he like flies right into Moonshade right and is like, Moline. right, exactly. Yep, yep. 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 And that's definitely her. I love um, how she always pops up in the palace. She's always around somewhere. I know she's one of my favorite background characters because she just has sass and she doesn't seem to care about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I know how much you love Winkin. Um, I'm really glad that he's uh, taking this leading role in Final. Yeah, Quest. me too. He's me really too. Featured. Um, so uh, I, I'm really enjoying that. It's great yeah. to see him being explored as a character. I completely agree. Um, and so, so yeah, here he is, and. Before we get get to what he says, I just want to comment again on the, the the fashion, the character clothing designs, mm-hmm. and how he has got the same sort of fur V thing going on mm-hmm. that Tildak, his father, did. Yes. And I just thought that was cool. Yep. Um, I don't you know, know what else is cool? Talking about fashion, uh, we've got the palace dwellers, Sava, and now Moonshade, wearing the mm-hmm. preserver silk gowns, mm-hmm. and the... Sun Villager um, Audrey, who used to wear um, the long flowing gowns, now mm-hmm. wearing Wolf Rider leathers because she's becoming um, more and more a part of the Wolf Rider. Totally, yeah. Tribe. Well, well, and Shen Shen, for that matter, too, who's standing right there. You know, you've got these two Sun Village maidens who are now dressed in in sort of Wolf Rider style leathers. And yep. then you have like the wolf, most wolf rider, wolf rider of all, Moonshade, decked out in these flowing Sun Villager palace robes. So it's, uh, I think, a great example of how um, the elves don't bat an eye at sort of cross culturalism. Yeah. And they're, you know, it's not like, well, you can't dress like that because you're not a real wolf rider or whatever, right. you know. It's, There's none of that happening. Yeah. You know what's interesting about Shenzhen, too, is that while she's still, while she's wearing wolf rider leathers, there's still a dress. Um, so right. it, it sort of gives that visual cue that she's um, still both a, a sun villager and also a wolf rider. Yeah, and I think Shen Shen is, is, from what we've seen so far, definitely spending more of her time in the palace than she is out of it. Um, I mean, she's appeared out of it, but um, you know, I think I think she's appeared in it more um, than she has out of it. So yes, um, so the dress would be, make a little bit more sense there too, right? Right. She seems to be sort of um, uh, going back to the palace uh, and and, uh, living in it more than she is out uh, in the woods. Mm -hmm. Right. So so Winkin comes swooping in and, you know, basically goes right to um, to Moonshade and asks her, do spirits ever answer questions? And. You know, we don't get a, an immediate reply to that. We have to kind of wait till the next issue, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she basically, you know, she smiles because she knows that, uh, you know, it says in the caption here, you know, knowing that not even for Sunstream do all answers come swiftly. So, um, you know, so, what's yeah. so interesting about that, though, is that Winkin approaches Moonshade about that and Sav is standing right there. Right. So well, instead of asking Sav, he's asking Moonshade. So already right. she's clearly becoming sort of an expert in um the palace right um, she, so it's clear that she's been spending a lot of time studying with Tamine. totally yeah yeah and and you know you get a little bit of an answer to that question in the next issue which i think mm-hmm. we should save yes but um but yeah so so you know we, we have this quick little scene and we see sunstream saying you know why am i suddenly more uneasy about ember's wolf riders than i am about her and we cut back to um 
to Tyr leading the Wolf Riders on this craggy little path above a uh, a raging river, and um, you know he's basically kind of going back to brooding and and sending to Ember that you know he he can't bear being apart from her. And um, then we cut to Mender, which I thought was really interesting, and we see mm-hmm. Mender, you know. <sighs> It would be so easy to lose to, to not have put this panel in there and just focus on the you know the immediate tier ember relationship and their strife and whatever. But I love the fact that they took the time to kind of quickly just snap over to 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 Mender, who loves Ember, you know, just as much as as well, maybe not just as much as as Tier, especially not after their recognition. But you know, I mean he holds a big place in his heart for Ember and we get to kind of see him reacting to what's going on. And, you know, that, that he just says like, I can't bear to think of you in the clutches, uh, you know, of, of the Jun, this, this awful person. Um, and that, you know, just another little bit of characterization and, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you just, I don't think you would have seen that in another comic. No, you um, wouldn't. And so I just wanted to call that out in particular. It, it really indicates the, um, the, level of um feelings that mender still has for ember i i would venture to say that it's still romantic on some level i mean i'm mm-hmm. sure that they still share the furs at, on occasion oh totally well i mean um, in, in what was it the issue one um or no it was in the um the the special where um when we first see ember and her tribe you know and she's kind of like oh i don't want to go see the baby um, and she's kind of brooding and Mender's like, you know, well, I have my special cure for nameless worries. And she was like, yeah, I totally would do that if I, you know, if I, if I wanted to. So mm-hmm. I think obviously there's definitely that going on, but I'd like to see their relationship explored a little more because they started out as teenage lovers, right? Well, Ember was teenager. Well, yeah. She Ember was, was like 800 was... by that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. Um, but, but yeah, they um, definitely like what evolved. has yeah, I, I'd like to see that explored a little bit more, like where they stand with each other, what's what's the nature of their relationship at this point? Are they just really good friends? Um, or do they still have some sort of romantic uh, you know, feelings for each other? Right. I well, I, yeah. I mean again, I think that we can say pretty confidently that there's some sort of romantic feelings that still exist and that they probably take advantage of. But I do think I think that we are seeing what you're asking to see, mm-hmm. you know, think about, you know, Ember calls Mender with him, with her when she gets her, her, you know, she makes a quick snap uh, selection of her best fighters, the people that she wants with her side when, when full tear and then followed by full crim go, go after the John. Right. And so she yeah. gets, you know, Ember calls, um, uh, well, she calls crim and sust and Pike and Mender Mm-hmm. And then throughout that whole scene, you kind of, you know, you see Ember uh, either express her concern because she knows that John wants to get Mender or her actually interacting with Mender. Like when, you know, it's basically Mender and Ember at that, you know, in the last stand who take care of uh, the, the John's other son. Um, I'm blanking on his name. And you see um, them yeah. kind of conversing and she's like, she's like Mender, you like, you've got to save Tear, like. So I, you know, I think we, we're we're seeing some interaction between them, and yeah. again, I think it's like it's pretty clear to me that they have a 
special connection. friendship and connection. Right. Um, I think I, I get what you're saying. I think that's displayed in actions. I think what I'm looking for would be maybe like a conversation, like a quiet right. conversation between them, where it's just right. a moment where they're, where they're talking. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much shown, but it's actually like a, a discussion. Articulated. Yeah. Articulated. Thank you. Yeah. I would love to see that too. Um, you know what I don't like about this panel of Mender? I think his skin is too light. You know what? It's so funny because um, I was thinking the same thing. And you know, when my eye first looked at that page, mm-hmm. I actually thought it was Sunstream. Yeah. Which the skin tone wouldn't have led me to believe that because Sunstream is obviously darker than that. I don't know what it is. And now now that I've seen it multiple times and I'm looking at it right now, it doesn't look anything like Sunstream. But that is who my eye thought it was the first time that I looked at that panel. Mm-hmm. I, I think could- part of it is... Part of it is the way that Sunny colors blonde hair. It's a little bit more muted than the way that Wendy does, which is she generally uses a really bright yellow. Yes. Um, and um, I don't yes, know. Because Mender's hair is generally more yellow than it is here. Right. This is more yellowish dun colored. Almost. Right. Yeah. Um, but his skin tone to me is still way too light like it right. should be brown um now i don't know if that's attributable attributable just to the fact that he's no longer living in the desert and he is genetically a wolf rider so his skin is naturally light and so now not living in the desert his skin is just lightning but yeah. we haven't seen that happen with dart well but i think you kind of have start seen it have a little we? bit with dart yeah, yeah. i was just gonna say i most think of the scenes with dart right now have been night scenes have so. been night scenes yeah mm-hmm. no i think i think that sunny is generally coloring um i mean look at winkin his skin tone is not as dark but it's it's darker than moonshade but it's not as dark as shen shen or audrey right um and so i think i think Sonny is coloring those elves that maybe were born, you know, sort of pale skin, but spent time in the desert or the plains or whatever, sort of that that medium tone. Mm-hmm. And then full-blown, you know, born sun villagers with the darker tone. That's right. what I think is going on there. So I think you're right yeah. that Mender's skin is slightly... Um, is lightning. Is Yeah, is, is, is lighter than we have seen it in the past. Right. Now, that could be an actual, like, conscious artistic decision mm-hmm. on the part of Wendy and, and Sonny, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I think it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting to hear their thoughts on that. Right. Well, and of course, Mender can control the color of his skin, so. <laughs> he could, but I don't know why would he want to change it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. it looked good on him. Right. <laughs> Well, maybe, you know, like Moonshade, after hundreds and hundreds of years of being one way, he was just like, I want to do something different. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I mean, he did transform himself into a human. Right. So, who knows? Yeah. Um, um, and then we're on our last page. No. Yeah, so, almost. well, almost to the last page. So, so this is, yeah, this the, the, really the last sort of event. So, you know, we we're, we're, we cut back, you know, Mender's thinking, I, I can't bear the thought of you, Ember, in the clutches of the Jun. And we turn the page and we see exactly why he pulls out a gun mm-hmm. and points it at Ember and fires. Yeah. And then the next thing we see is Tyr freaking out. And I have to admit, when I was reading this, my heart was racing, but sinking to the like pit of my stomach mm-hmm. because you don't see what happens to Ember. No, it now, was really now, worrisome. Yeah. Now, fortunately, mm-hmm. they decide to put us out of our misery 
without having to get you know to flip the page to see what happens and imagine if they had ended the issue right there on that blam yeah i i'm actually surprised that they didn't knowing how torturous they like to be <laughs> um, yeah but yeah i mean right on the next page we you know we see you know tear freak out and scouter grabs him and says what you know is ember and and tear confirms no she's alive but she's she's scared so scared and then the last page you know you see what the jun did he shot right above her head and blasted part of the chair and for the first time you see like true fear terror horror in ember's eyes Mm -hmm. and that's actually and that's actually what the jun says i'm looking at it now that's the Mm -hmm. first real fear i've seen in you demoness good your learning learning has begun and so that was also an awesome ending. So, and I think that the point there, maybe why they didn't end with the cliffhanger of, you know, did she live or die is that, you know, quite honestly, that the, the Ember is going through something in a way that's worse than death. She's being psychologically tortured. Yes. Um, and so that's pretty horrific. And that's a pretty horrific way to end as well. So... I love how um, just before he shoots the gun, uh, it cuts to Ember's face, and she's obviously she's looking at what he's holding, but it means absolutely nothing to her. Totally, yeah. And she just you has can a see that in look. her face. She yeah. just has this look on her face, like completely almost neutral um, and stern, like you say. Yeah. Um, because she has no idea what it is, right. and then cut to after he's fired it, and like you said, she's in utter shock and terror. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty powerful, that weapon. It cut through that throne, which looks like it's made of pretty solid wood, whatever right. it would be, ironwood or oak or something, or the mm. equivalent on the World of Two Moons. Right. Um, yeah, it's a... I don't know what kind of gun that's called. It's a pistol, an arquebus or something? I, I know nothing about guns, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm out of my element. I can talk yeah. ad nauseum about wildlife biology and behavior but technology (laughs) not so much (laughs) yeah yeah no but it's definitely sort of a a sign of uh the time right where they've now entered into this age where humans are wielding these um firearms so what does that mean to the elves yeah exactly i mean and that's that is the threat they'll now face given that humans have uh if not mastered this weaponry yet or are discovering it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it does not bode well for them. No, it doesn't. And, um, and, and again, we get into this in the next issue in issue number four, uh, you learn a little bit more about what's going on and some of the answers to those questions you just said. So I won't give those away. Mm-hmm. We'll wait until we, um, we talk about it when we do the next issue. So, yeah. or the next episode. So with that said, um, uh, I think we're clearly over to it. Yeah. We're, I, I'm looking at about two hours and 12 minutes. So. Yeah. Now we said we weren't going to go on any tangents or we try not to, <laughs> that didn't really work out too well. No, it didn't. But before we go though, we, <laughs> we can't forget to do our, uh, oh, yeah. regular episode segment our best and worst your best and worst or favorite and least favorite yeah okay you go first all right jeez. Oh, okay i'm gonna say that my favorite part is um, there are several really great parts here this is hard um i'm gonna say that my favorite part is strongbow being all dramatic and being like you're neglecting your kids and then the kids being like we don't care what she does <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah like basically completely defanging his his argument and showing how silly it kind of is. Um, 
And my least favorite part, um, I'll, I'll go with sort of this this whole idea that, you know, all the wildlife biology stuff with the deer, you know, that it not being an alien, that the good of the group not being an alien concept to an animal's mind. Because um, it doesn't really gel with what I understand of biology, if I'm understanding what Wendy and Richard are meaning when they say it. So Right. Great. Okay. Um, my favorite... Actually, I'll start with my least favorite. I'll end on my favorite. So my okay. least favorite moment um, is Tears usage of power. It doesn't sit well sit, sit well with me. Pardon me. Um, I I don't feel like it's really uh, ex- been explained properly, or it, it just the the idea that he's able to control animals and that they're mm, throwing themselves on swords even if it is for the good of the group it just doesn't sit well with me um and the way his power is portrayed and explained or not explained just uh, i again like i said i i like the nuts and bolts of those things so maybe i'm expecting something that isn't necessarily going to be um right you know explained to me but i i like knowing the uh the inner workings of of magic and you know what what specifically the powers are that the elves possess um and and, it's a little too vague for me yeah and that's what i was just going to say is that i think that um in an effort to answer questions about tears power Mm -hmm. that um perhaps it actually raised more questions than it actually answered and i don't know that we're going to get answers to those questions so you're right that could be it um my favorite moment uh, I've got a bunch, so I'm just trying to find which one specifically I like. You know what? I think I like the interaction between uh, Angriff and Ember um, throughout. I like uh-huh. the, the barbs that they throw back and forth at each other. I like Ember's ability to remain stoic and strong in the face of uh, this maniac. Um, I, I find Angriff, for all his... Uh, craziness and and um evil uh intentions um a really interesting character yeah i do too um it's just he's a he's an evil villain and evil villains are always really interesting yeah and they're fun they're fun to sort of it's fun to kind of love to hate them yeah (laughs) it is exactly it's yeah and that's how i feel about him and of course all the um the design work in his throne room and stuff, I think, is a testament to Wendy's ability as an artist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So that's it for me. All right. Awesome. Well, okay. that, I think, will wrap us up for yet another episode of the ElfQuest show. So, um, as always, folks, you know, let us know your thoughts and your comments and um, you, uh, you know, uh, questions, and we will um, – you could do that on SoundCloud. You can do it on – um, in iTunes, you can do it on Facebook, you can do it on the forums. We're reading all of them. So we'd love to hear from you if you agree, disagree. So let us know and we'll respond when we do our next um, episode, which hopefully, I know we say this every time, will be sooner rather than later. Hopefully we won't go another month. Well, uh, I we'll really have summer though. So yeah, I mean, I really, really, happen. really want to get caught up on the um, doing the episodes on the issues so that. Me too. When the September issue comes out, mm-hmm. and God, I can't believe it's already almost September, um, that we can, within a day or two, get a podcast up about the new issue. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. And I also still want to do 
some special episodes too. I mean, there's so yeah. many things that we could talk about. Um, I'd love to try to see if we can get Sonny on. I'd love mm-hmm. to see if we can get Wendy and Richard themselves on to, you know, maybe not for a two hour marathon podcast, but maybe we could do some sort of s- smaller interview with them. And, I would love um, to yeah, so, so let's make it, uh, let's make it our pact to try to get the episode for issue number four done in the next like week or two yep. at, and then we can, um, we'll, we'll be caught up and then we can start thinking about those other things. Yeah. Special episodes. And then exactly for September, we'll try and get that episode out as quickly as possible. Um, I will say, I noticed that the comments weren't coming in so much for the, uh, the most latest episodes that I posted on SoundCloud. We uh-huh. really want to hear from you guys. I know that people are listening to it cause I see the stats, um, the amount of, uh, of downloads and, and listens. Um, so please comment, please you know, we want to hear from you. We want to um, read your questions and comments uh, in the episode and, and respond to them. Um, we want to make this as interactive as possible with the rest of you guys. Uh, so, yeah, definitely uh, let us know how you feel. Let us know your thoughts, criticisms, comments, everything. Totally, especially about the things that we were confused about on this issue, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Tears Magic and sort of the interaction with the animals and things like that. Um, yeah. So let us know. Yes. Okay. So on that note, I guess we will call it an episode. Yep. We will see you all next time. And we'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye, everyone. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. And you can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcasts or any other multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.